High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, ice skating sister-in-laws, loners, and everyone out there listening who will stop at nothing to be a star. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school's still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment. I would like to see the results. Of course, your homework, as always, is to like and follow us on social media because class participation is a huge part of your grade. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Also, of course, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. And of course, as well, tell a friend about high school slumber party that's the best way you can spread all the great things we do here every week every week i hope you did your other homework of course which was to watch a movie and listen to a movie well first it was to watch moxie on netflix which we talked about last week with jenny o'connell i also talked about it on the contenders podcast i had huge high school slumber party news on both podcasts so you definitely want to check them out i'll leave it quiet this week so that, you know, maybe I can get you to listen to those episodes, because Moxie was a really cool movie, one of the better movies of 2021. Hope you listen to that episode on whatever platform you're listening right now. And of course, you could always listen on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And you'll find all the great pop culture podcasts that we put out every week. But of course, your homework this week was to watch a film called To Die For, starring Nicole Kidman and directed by Gus Van Zandt. More on that in a second. Kind of had a lot on my mind right now. A lot of positive, maybe some not so positive. Figured this was the platform to discuss it. The last blockbuster on the aforementioned Netflix. I just watched it. Oh my god. It brought back so much nostalgia. I highly, highly recommend watching it. Basically, there's one more blockbuster left in the entire world. And it's in this town called Bend, Oregon. It's about that, but it's also about the history of blockbuster. It's on Netflix. But I still believe this fact that I'm going to tell you. Netflix did not kill Blockbuster. Find out what killed Blockbuster when you watch this documentary. But God, it made me think back to Blockbuster. That was my childhood. That was my, I don't know. It didn't feel that long ago that we had Blockbuster. But the world's changed so much. Growing up, we had a Blockbuster in town. And we would just go every Friday. Sometimes multiple times a week to rent things. My family's really into movies. My mom's really into movies. We watched so many movies there. 
I have this podcast because of Blockbuster. In my segment where I said, rent two movies, get one free every week, it's based on my idea of Blockbuster. It was Shangri-La as a kid. I could still feel the plastic of the tapes. I could still smell what it smelled like in there. They talk about the smell. A mix of plastic and goody food and just good times, carpet Nostalgia. I know it doesn't sound good to those of you young people not familiar with Blockbuster, but trust me, trust me, it was. Blockbuster was awesome. So check out this documentary. I used to go to Blockbuster in high school all the time. Kyle Reinfried, the foodie films man himself, our guest today. Me and him used to go during our free period. He used to buy movies because when they would have too many copies of movies that they rented, they would sell them for cheap. They didn't have the original covers, but it didn't matter. You got the movie, right? He used to buy them, I forget, every Wednesday or every... Every whatever day, that's when he used to go to Blockbuster and stock up on films. And I used to rent films. I remember when my mom gave me her Blockbuster card. Oh, it was like my first piece of adulthood. I got a Blockbuster card before I got a license, right? And I could rent what I want. And sometimes you would just go in there just to hang out. Just to hang out with your friends and look at the movies and look at the covers. It's just not the same streaming. I love streaming. Look, I don't think we could do this podcast without streaming. I mean, could you imagine every movie that we talk about every movie that I watched, I had to go to Blockbuster to pick it up. Hope it's there. I hope they had a teen section, but who knows? You know what I mean? I mean, it would be fun. It would, there'd be like a chase involved in it. So that would be cool. But on the other hand, probably difficult for you guys out there to also go out and rent it. So I'm grateful for streaming, but man, the nostalgia of watching the last Blockbuster. Like I said, check it out on Netflix just brought back so many memories. And if you're my age or older, probably going to bring back memories for you as well. And if you're younger than me, you're going to see a piece of history that, again, is incomprehensible that we live without it today. That's all I could say. Incomprehensible. Whoa, whoa. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Never forget that. We still got some more learning and teaching and dialogue to dialogue with each other. I don't know. Well, you guys can't talk back to me, but that's the beauty of podcasting. <laughs> anyway, director Gus Van Zant, great director, and we kind of stumbled on something here. I'll get into it a little bit more on the pod, but dude, this guy has like four or five teen movies, and you know that's rare for a teen director. Well, he's not a teen, you know what I mean? A director, I guess in general. I'm still doing my research, whether it's four or five, but give me, give me, you know, a couple of days. We're going to do all of them here, though. All his teen films. No, that's not Good Will Hunting. No, that's not Milk. No, that's not the shitty remake of Psycho. But it's a lot of cool stuff. Some stuff I've seen, some stuff I haven't seen. And I'm really, really, really excited about it. It's a funny story how this all came to be. Our little Gus Van Sant turn or Gus Van Sant lap, to quote a term from the Too Fast, Too Forever guys. You're going to hear all about that story next. I go into it with Kyle. But before that, I don't know. I've already recorded some of these Gus Van Sant episodes. They're coming out great, but like, there's something about these movies that's inspiring some really awesome dialogue with my friends. Just really, really fun stuff about film, about high school. Some of it's random. All of it I'm loving, though, and I hope that continues, and I hope that continues for the podcast. I don't know. This has reignited a fire in me just to talk about some of these things. I'm just, like, loving it. I know I keep sounding like McDonald's, but I'm dating myself. I don't think that's their phrase anymore, but, <laughs> I mean, it's it's been so awesome. 
And I'm not sure if it's because Gus Van Sant's work has such an intimate relationship with the characters, or if it's because, I don't know, the subject matters, what he focuses on, marginalize teens often in these films. Or maybe you could take any filmmaker, any good filmmaker with a large, diverse portfolio and a clear vision, and it's going to inspire something from you. It really has me thinking, though, about the next generation of filmmakers, the people who are younger than me, the Gen Zers, I think they're called. I'm just fascinated with the fact that, like, TikTok and these kind of things, like, they're editing. My generation was one of the first generations to just film things on their phone. I saw things go from, like, you know, digital media, the first days of digital media, to true digital media on your cell phones. Uh, Kyle and I, who we're going to talk to here, we shot a movie together, just a fun movie that I wrote, and that was done on cameras that we have better cameras on our cell phones. We could have done a better job doing it with our cell phones. And it's just so crazy. But like this next generation, they're editing in TikTok. I can't believe they're editing like this. It's just astounding to me. Are they going to be the greatest editors of all time? Is it going to just change how we think of editing? You know, People go to school for this, and they study this, and that's great. There's an art to it that you study, I suppose. But now we're crowdsourcing even editing, which is like the nitty-gritty of film. And, you know, Gus Van Sant films are edited so nicely, and they're shot so nicely. And I just don't know. Like, he was an auteur. He came out of, like, Portland. He was doing these indie films. He got big. He does blockbusters. He does indie films. He does blockbusters. He does indie films. Goes back and forth. Like, who's the next Gus Van Sant? Is it some kid, some 10-year-old kid on a cell phone editing his TikToks? Probably, right? I'm excited to see it. At the same time, you have such haters from the older generation. When I say the older generation, I'm going to talk about mine as well. You say TikTok to a friend, and look, I'm not on TikTok. I really don't get it. But you say TikTok to a friend, and they're like, oh, oh my God, what's that? That's what they were saying about YouTube. That's what they were saying about cell phones. That's what they were saying about the steam engine at some point, I'm sure. It's just so silly. That's something that, like, I can't get used to with the internet. You know class participation is a huge part of your grade. You know I love comments. But there's so much negativity on all sides out there. There's so much negativity towards the other side. I hate how, what's the opposite of inclusive? Divisive, maybe? I just hate how divisive we're getting. I see friends of mine making just the dumbest comments on other people's things. Just, ah. Again, it just frustrates me so much live and let live that's what i was taught it took me a while to do that and sometimes i break that rule too i see something and i have to say something and i'm like oh why did i just say it live and let live i don't know we also live in a generation and i think the generation coming up they're not perfect because they're very uh narcissistic if you will well that sounds too negative but they're very self-oriented they've been the star of literally they're on movies these tiktok movies i'm talking about or videos on instagram or whatever they've been the star of that since they could pick up a phone and since their parents gave them phones and even before that guess what all my friends have babies well a lot of them they take pictures of their children constantly so they've been the star of someone else's show their whole life I don't know what that does to the psyche. I'm, I'm just not sure of it. And it really makes me think of this film today that we're going to talk about To Die For. It's of a different age. It's of that, like I said to Kyle, that hard copy age. It's a little bit before reality TV as we know. I think the real world existed in shows like that. But it's more 
the Barbara Walters, the Connie Chungs, the even America's Most Wanted kind of things. A little bit pre our true crime generation, but like the hard copy true crime of its era. And our character here, who Nicole Kidman plays great, and I think I failed to mention that she won the Golden Globe for this, even though she didn't get nominated for an Oscar for To Die For. It's a movie, if you didn't do your homework, shame on you, you should have done your homework. But how can I put it? It examines what a kind of person like this who's absorbed in this world and what that does to them. And I know it's a fantasy based on a true story, but I know it's a fantasy. And it makes me think about those young people today who I'm not criticizing. It's just different. And I'm just curious. Uh, the older generation says they're too woke. They're too woke. But is that necessarily a bad thing? Should we care? Inclusion is so important and it's so awesome. And another thing that like pisses me off, I saw the Dr. Seuss thing and I saw a couple other things that like people are getting so angry that companies are trying to rewrite their past. And honestly, it does make me a little bit angry because I don't agree with the censorship of books. We shouldn't change the fact that Dr. Seuss was a little bit racist, even for his time, to be honest with you. Those are more prevalent beliefs, but you know, some of those early books, eh. But that's not the government demanding that. That's not people on Twitter demanding it. That's not the media. That's corporations. And these corporations, you know, they're just doing what's in their best interest. And I'm no fan of these big corporations. I don't care. But it's just amazing how we can get angry at something and turn our vitriol at the fact that Mr. Potato Head is more inclusive and blame a generation for it and blame specific people for it. It's just so ridiculous. I'm sure you're sick of hearing me right now just rant, but I'm sorry. I'm going off right now. <laughs> I sincerely apologize, but should I? I don't know. Watching this movie, too, made me think about that media and narcissism and, oh, again, narcissism's a bad word, but just like the me, me, me generation on both sides, self-orientation, we'll call it. And it made me think of this very podcast, right? When I started having fun podcasting is when I stopped doing things for likes and I realized this is just fun for me. This is just an outlet for me. I love doing this. I love doing this. I don't chase likes. I don't care if I'm famous. If you're listening right now, you're making me happy. Just you, you one person, you're making me happy. I do this for you and I do it really for me. Sorry to be selfish, but it's true. This is my social media outlet. And I think you're going to be seeing more and more people podcasting like that. Now, can everyone sit and listen to me and my friends talk about movies for two hours? No, I'm grateful you do. Trust me. <laughs> I know people like more snackable content now, five minutes, ten minutes. But that's, again, that's not why I'm doing this. This is my sharing with you. And once again, I thank you. Whatever you believe, I thank you for listening. I love you. I don't say that often, but I do. And I think this is awesome. I think you're awesome. And I just wish that we could all get along with each other, respect that people have different views, different opinions. An argument is not always a bad thing, but it's getting so personal. Remember, different beliefs, yeah, they're personal by nature, but if we can just listen to each other and get along and respect different beliefs, I think we can move past this era of hate and divisiveness and move into an era where we could have a discussion, we could have two sides. If we come to a consensus, great. If we don't, that's okay. Once again, reminds me of Blockbuster. You'd walk in with your girlfriend, you'd walk in with your mom, you'd walk in with your brother, and you'd try to pick a movie. 
And when you did it get along, you pick different movies and you watch them in different rooms. But you know what? Sometimes when two people walked into a blockbuster together, couldn't choose a movie, picked a different movie, but watched each other's movies, both movies would gain new fans. And both people would gain a new respect for each other. But I know what you're saying. Stop ranting at us, old man. <laughs> I've kept you way too long. So let's talk about it. Kyle Reinfried, the foodie films man, is here to talk to Die For, my old blockbuster buddy. I can't wait. Pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother sleeping at Brian's. Because we're about to get our party on. I leave you with a song that's played in the credits, actually, but it's too good to save for the end. Donovan's Season of the Witch. Class dismissed. slumber party always always good having you so kyle i think we have a lot to talk about today so why don't you introduce yourself in the classic high school slumber party way we'll get things out of the way in that department and and uh you know start this one off hey there slumberers it's kyle reinfried class of 05 from northern valley regional high school at ultapan go golden knights 2005 so long ago now (laughs) oh it's just it's just sad and it's just i don't know how to where did it go how do i get back not there because i didn't (laughs) but kind of yeah no but you know yeah i feel like if you knew what you knew now like everyone yeah experience would be different i think i said it did i say it last time we hung out like i I, it's not like i'm when i talk and i reminisce about that stuff it's not like i want to back to the future to it and like pick up a sports almanac i mean that you know that would be amazing but it's like not for that reasons it's just like a little bit of i don't know there's just so many important things you do when you're younger and you just have no fucking clue i still don't but i have a little bit more of an understanding but back then like god everything just so many big life decisions early on that just have these ripple effects yeah, you don't think they're big life decisions, but they end up being. If you're a high schooler listening right now, I hope we're not putting too much pressure on you. Live your life, but still. <laughs> no, but but if it, but if it is, you know what the best thing to do is breathe and take time. Because even as short as life is, it's just good to do that and to put as much thought in. But you know, to enjoy things and do things, but and, take it seriously. But, but take yeah, take, take it seriously. But like, 
just, I don't know, again, like, you don't have to go to college right away. You don't have to go to college. You don't have no, to. No, but, but don't also not go to college. Yeah, no, no, no. Do, do, yeah. I think what you're trying to say is don't go to college just to go to college. Yes, there we go. That's the best way, yeah, that's the best way of saying what I'm trying to preach these days is, I don't know. But anyway, this isn't, this isn't. Uh, no, this is high school slumber party. Slumber party. This is high school slumber party. So. Yeah, but you know, in high school, you're making those decisions. I totally get it, and I think you know, we come from a generation where a lot of people went to college just to go to college. I know that's changing, so we don't need to really give that kind of advice. But it's something where take college seriously. Take the, the next step, whatever you're going to do, take it seriously because I think movies kind of screwed us up. Because it's like college, it's for fun, you know what I mean? And you should have fun in college. I'm not saying you shouldn't have fun in college, but definitely start to think about your future. I think the problem when we were uh, in high school, from a teaching standpoint, from a guidance counselor standpoint, to be honest with you, was that their only goal was to get you to college. And they would set everything up so that you would go to college. And college is not the end game, you know what I mean? The goal should be, what am I going to do after college? And I'm going to go to college or any kind of secondary learning or the job market, whatever. Yeah, it was just to get you there and like not really necessarily like starting with our generation or starting with, yeah, like with millennials. I mean, probably even like Gen X, like people aren't sticking to like their careers anymore. So it's not like you have to go to college for the thing that you might not even end up being, you know, doing for the rest of your life. Also, the high school that we went to was very uh, academically like competitive and wanted to stay on certain... It, it really wasn't, though. They, they told us it was, but it really... When you look back, it was all just about getting those stats, about, again, getting those kids into college. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's what I meant. The school was like competitive with like staying on that top 100 public school list in the country. Yeah, which is, again, ridiculous because they... A lot of uh, students' goals became misplaced because the goal was college, and the goal should not be college. So fuck you, Mr. Spatz. I'm kidding. You're a nice guy. (laughs) Yeah, but it should be, what am I doing with my life? Mr. Spatz recommended Finding Forrester to me, a Gus Van Sant film. So we can't diss Mr. Spatz too much. (laughs) No, no, no. I I, I liked him. He was a very nice guy. It was just, yeah, it is an endless amount of reasons of just like, for, for me, where I ended up, why I ended up there, what little i did i mean you know just all of those different factors from guidance counselors to hey neither of my parents went to college so they just didn't have that experience of like what to do per se and applying and why you applied to certain schools i mean me i was just i'm lazy and a procrastinator so i really didn't apply to many and i I just didn't i don't know but if it wasn't for your time at Ramapo, we wouldn't be <laughs> we here. Wouldn't be to, oh, we, ne- we wouldn't be on this network, so there we go. No, we would be just maybe talking about this movie <laughs> with each other, but you wouldn't have met the people that you met, and I wouldn't have met them, and we wouldn't be on this network. Most of my guests are Ramapo people. That's right. That's right. Slumberers and foodies and Hoff fans. Uh, I'll just say the names of, I mean, cage clubbers. Uh, is that what they go by? Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> my lack of ambition <laughs> in education. Yeah, but I mean, Rampo is not a bad. School. No, 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 it's you not didn't bad, have a bad school, time but... or anything like that. No, 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 no. I don't think it was about you know your college search or anything like that. 
Oh no no no! And it's, it's not even me. No, it's not me hating on Ramapo or anything like that. Like yeah, Ramapo went up a thousand dollars every year. Like I went there, it was like sixteen thousand starting in two thousand five, and then by which the is end, nothing. No, today. which is which is no, which is nothing. Ramapo is now, I think, to live on campus like over thirty thousand dollars. Wow, and that's still cheap. For, yeah, which is which is just yeah, which is crazy, which, which is, is crazy. That, no, it's just all crazy. That, yeah. <laughs> that that is something that insane for sure. Yes, so it's not me hating on the institution. As far as yes, do I wish Ramapo was in a college town? Like there wasn't as much of like a re- real college experience there. But I did live on campus versus you know suitcase schooling it uh, for a lot of people that go there. Also, you know, like I had not really traveled much beforehand. If like I don't know, we if my family and I went on vacations and like i saw more of the country maybe i would have wanted to go elsewhere i don't know it's just you know but that's something i you know learned about myself later on so you can't change that so the best is to just pass along uh, lack of a better word i want to call what i have wisdom but uh (laughs) (laughs) but i get it i I love having these talks on high school slumber party and as you know and, and i've said it on this podcast i i used to be kind of on that you know don't go to college kind of uh bandwagon i'm definitely not anymore due to just the you know the demographics of this country and what data is showing yeah you said it better before and say it again because i i forget exactly how you phrased it oh don't go to college just to go to college yes there we go i agree with that that's what i that's what i believe i regret how i spent my time in college Socially, for sure. Like, I, you know, not that I did too much. I didn't do enough socially, to be oh, honest. Oh, there were so many ladies that just didn't, <laughs> at that, well, that I would have gotten kicked out of school these days for hitting on. <laughs> or, so many. You, you, it doesn't have to be a gross kind of hitting on Kyle. No, 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 it's not gross, but it still would have been, I don't know. My hamming it up would have been misunderstood. No, I think you could have been like, let's, let's have a meal in the cafeteria. You know, I'd like to get to know you more, kind of thing. But yeah, let's <laughs> also, get some of that buffet. Sorry. <laughs> also, I was gonna say I really regret not being in that atmosphere academically as well. I would just like pass these classes, get out of here, move on to adulthood, and that was so dumb because I was in an environment, you were in an environment as well, and you again, you met a lot of great people and took a lot of great classes. Um, I did too, but I didn't take enough of them. I didn't I talk enough. learn so many things. I'm paying for schooling. Exactly. Like that's, have, that's yeah. That's the one thing I will tell like if I have a child like have have your fun, but really take advantage of the learning cuz imagine like I would love to just show up to a class one day and learn about the films of Gus Van Sant. You know what I mean? I'm such that a would fucking awesome. asshole for giving up on foreign as for it was Spanish for me specifically, just being like, "Oh, I only need two of the, two, two uh years of that in high school." All right, see you later or or uh Sayonara. I was about to say sayonara. Hasta <laughs> luego. Oh, man. I mean, and I do, like, I didn't take film. I government and politics major, and some of these classes I learned so much in. I wish I took more of them. Towards the end, I started to be like, man, I didn't really take advantage of my education here. But time ran out. I was two classes away, I think, from being a minor in... Um, women's studies i was two or three classes away from being a creative writing minor but time ran out on me you know what i mean i must see i had enough credits and i had to graduate that's just how it works and i just figured that out too late i really just dragged my feet freshman and sophomore year and oh that's what i regret so much i'm definitely jealous of your again i don't know if you took advantage of it or not you could tell me but i definitely i'm definitely jealous of your 
um, film education in college. I know Tobin, again, who I've been on the show, The Contenders, he was professor at Rampo. I know your professor, Zach, you're very close with. And you learn so many cool things about so many cool filmmakers. And I've learned a lot from your education, Mike Manzi's education, a lot of people who I knew who went to school for film-related stuff from their educations. And with this podcast, it's almost like a re-education for me and like this Gus Van Sant thing that I stumbled upon, which I do want to talk about, is kind of that as well. It's like at-home learning, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there are definitely, as far as, uh, you know, my major was digital filmmaking and I had some uh solid professors you know some not so much tobin was great i unfortunately only had one uh class with him but he he was great because he was out there and like had had made some films and talked about like what entering like festivals is like and it was just i don't know just talked to us much more you know at that point we're all because uh, I had him senior year we're all 21 and that's still obviously very young but just talk to us much more like adults than other professors would and uh yeah so he, he was great but um yeah just being surrounded by people that were that many people that had similar interests to you like that 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 was such a a fun part of college and obviously our major of you know filmmaking and watching all these great films so definitely fond memories as far as that goes how did we stumble on to die for i had never even heard of this movie you <sighs> brought it up i don't know if it was on air off air randomly but you brought it up and i wrote your name down on it <laughs> in my phone next to it because that's what i do like i have a lot of my friends and guest names written in my phone and i have movies written down um I was supposed to record Elephant with our mutual friend from high school, Dan, Danny Kim. And, you know, he had to change the date because of a work situation. I'm like, oh, I need another episode. So I'm like, oh, I, you know, uh, let, let me see what I could do with someone like Kyle. And I looked up your name and I, I, I saw that To Die For was on the list. I was looking up To Die For. And I'm like, wait, this is a Gus Van Sant film as well? So I'm like, you know what? There's something communicating here. I looked up his IMDb and he has four or five teen or teen adjacent films i'm like uh, i'm going to do them all in a row i'm also watching gus van zandt films that aren't teen films not for the podcast but just to engrace me in this but what's your history with this film to die for like i don't even know when you brought it up it was recent it was definitely recent that i brought it up but for the life of me it's escaping why were we talking nicole kidman i know i said that i listened to her I don't think she specifically mentioned this film, but I know she was on a WTF or... Yeah, no, wait, Cold Mountain? Was yeah, I was thinking maybe when we were doing Cold Mountain for our other show, P.S. I Love Hawkman, like, and then it, you just brought it up. Maybe because there is some uh, intense lovemaking in that film. I and... know you brought it up in the context of Joaquin Phoenix. That's all I know. Okay, so then why, yeah, huh. <laughs> I'm not sure, but whatever whatever you said, whatever you did has has uh, put me in this Gus Van Sant rabbit hole, and I'm loving <laughs> it so far. I, I really am. I think he's a very underrated director. I don't think he's a household name to everyone. I think the film people he certainly is, but he's not on the level of. You I know, think he Spielberg was for a little. Like that, I think obviously. he was for a little bit. I do. You know what I determine, Kyle? I say, does my mom know who this na- person is? Who my mom loves film. If I say the person's name. Does she know who that is? And she definitely doesn't know Gus Van Sant. Oh, okay. Said, and he just he has a very obviously distinct name. And then between I feel like between the years of like 
Goodwill Hunting to Milk, I felt like he kind of had like you know for our world, absolutely. I, okay. I, he's not yeah. like unknown to me. He was on Entourage. He was like <laughs> oh, one okay. of those. Yeah, you know, he right. was one of those <laughs> filmmakers that's like, is Vinny gonna collab with Gus? Yeah, Which is funny because right. Kev Dillon is part of his crew, and Matt Dillon is obviously maybe that's a, maybe that's how it happened. But there's so I mean, many there's so many connections between like how oh, yeah. Gus works with people. Yeah, we're gonna talk about it. A lot of connections also come from this film, which is super interesting. My history with this, I also don't particularly remember. It's a movie that I know. This might have been the first time I saw it from start to finish. It's a film that I think I. Like, I, I watched on television. So, I mean, there is no there is no nudity. So, like, I always thought it was, like, a dirtier film maybe than it was. And I was watching, like, the TV edited version. I don't recall if I ever saw it from start to finish besides, you know, for now watching it for this uh, episode. So, yeah, just caught it from, like... But I just very memorable parts are just, like... I mean, she's... Nicole Kidman is just very uh, captivating and just so so intense in this film that it just always stuck out to me as a role of hers. Because I'm not, like, per- necessarily, per se, like... I don't know. She's not, like, on my top five list of female actors, per se. She's fantastic, but uh, th- this film... I didn't, I didn't recognize also how much recognition she got for this role. Besides, she did she didn't get an Academy Award nomination, but I think yeah, she no, and we'll definitely get into that because yeah. this is like a lot of people consider this Nicole Kidman's greatest role. Um, it's definitely you know in her top five on almost every list, and it's hmm. it's a role that's underrated. This is an underrated film and an underrated performance because no, again, more people are certainly talking about Gus Van Sant than they are this movie and her performance here. But like people in the know are like, oh my god. I think it has to do with the title. It's a very generic title. It is a very generic title. Uh, let's get into a little bit of the background. Gus Van Sant, though, what's your experience with him? You know, you mentioned Goodwill Hunting and Milk and stuff. Is is that where you're familiar with him? Yeah, those are the two that I'm most familiar with. Like, I, you know, I definitely, like, looking at his IMDb, I know some others, but those are the ones I've seen the most. I mean, those are definitely probably his two most commercial films two most commercial for sure uh finding forrester would be the third most commercial no and that that would be the next one on my list so yeah in terms of money like that the films have made goodwill hunting was obviously huge hit both critically commercially that's you know the first time i recognized him for sure i am a big fan of the musician elliot smith elliot smith did the soundtrack for goodwill hunting uh, you know, growing up, I loved Elliot Smith, and that's really where I also started to hear about Gus Van Sant, because Gus Van Sant, not discovered Elliot Smith, but kind of, in terms of Elliot Smith's a Portland guy, Gus Van Sant is a Portland guy, he was kind of popular in the local Portland scene, and he's like, hey, do this movie with me, and hmm. Elliot Smith says, sure, he does the soundtrack for Goodwill Hunting, he gets nominated for an Oscar, performs at the Oscars, and kind of gets a somewhat of mainstream success from there. So that's where I had heard of him, but I was not too familiar with his auteur work. He's known as a director who can do the blockbuster and can do the indie film. And sometimes it's a little bit of both. But again, in terms of revenue, Goodwill Hunting does $225 million and is 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. I love Goodwill Hunting. I love Boston movies, you know that. But <laughs> otherwise, it's, I love Goodwill Hunting. Finding Forrester does $80 million, which is huge, you know. And uh, Milk does $54 million, but Milk, you know, that was when Sean Penn, the Oscar, one of the big movies that year. He gets nominated for directing Milk, so 
I think those are the ones that most people know, and like you said, it's mostly Goodwill Hunting and Milk. Though I was familiar with a lot of these titles. Um, I just watched Drugstore Cowboy, because you could like stream that free, and it's really, really good. My Own Private Idaho is a Keanu movie that I was familiar with that I had seen in the past. I'm going to rewatch. Oh, yeah, and the late, great River Phoenix. Connection, connection to this movie. Of course. And also, the one thing that's like the stain on his career as people say, is the Vince Vaughn remake of Psycho, uh, which is partially shot by shot, but partially not. They shouldn't have done it. However, Gus Van Sant did it because he loved Hitchcock so much, and he kind of... Goodwill Hunting was so successful, so successful, that they pretty much let him do whatever he want with it. With uh, Sorry, with his next project. So he's like, I want to redo Psycho. And they said, okay, you know? <laughs> but you can see uh, some of the Hitchcock influence in this film, I'd say. Oh, for sure, and uh, it's funny because you did, you just sent me the other day a Vince Vaughn. Uh, what was that for? I've seen I've seen other videos like it. Do, do GQ, you know what, I think, that and G- that's how yeah. that's how I stumbled on it because I was doing research for this film. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just fun. It was really fun hearing Vince Vaughn break down some of his uh, most iconic roles, and you know the, his Norman Bates was of course on there, and it's just really uh, hearing him say what. Gus was trying to do and what what then he was trying to do and what just the collective everybody on psycho and um I was actually I was watching something you know there was the the Snyder cut dropped of uh Justice League mm-hmm. last little uh recently so then I was watching I went down like a rabbit hole of just like interviews and it was an interview with the writer of he wrote Batman Forever, nice little connection to uh, with Nicole Kidman right there, and Batman oh, yeah. and Robin, and then he like wrote a spec script for another Batman, I think a, a original Batman versus Superman movie. But he was just pretty much saying like you know yeah, and in the end like like they were watching dailies of Batman and Robin. They're like they were thinking like oh this is kind of good and this is kind of dark, and then just things kind of just took a turn whether it was the way it was edited or the music and he just said you know in the end of the day no one goes in trying to make this isn't the the producers the movie or the musical no one's trying to go in and make a bad movie think of ed wood like the movie ed wood you know what yeah. i mean like yeah most of what i know from ed wood comes from that movie so if it's wrong i'm sorry ed wood like loyalist <laughs> fans out there but you know ed wood wasn't on there trying to make crappy movies you know he thought he was making masterpieces you know he was trying so it's very similar yeah, so um, Psycho, or well, this is before he made Psycho, right? Yeah, so, so he he's but the Hitchcock coming up influences, yeah, for sure, and he's coming up on like uh, as he's an indie filmmaker, really like based out of Portland. He makes this movie called Malanoche, which I haven't seen. What do you call it? Like sixteen millimeter film. It's that first film of a director's, but ninety five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Then he does Drugstore Cowboy, which has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, um, which I suggest everyone out here watch it. Really good movie. And Drugstore Cowboy, the star is Matt Dillon, who we see here. And then he does My Own Private Idaho, which is critically acclaimed and does really well. So they're like, hey, do a movie, right? It's similar to Goodwill Hunting. And he does this movie called Even Cowboys Get the Blues, which apparently was terrible. Terrible. Nobody liked it. It stars Uma Thurman, Lorraine Bracco, Angie Dickinson, Pat Morita, Keanu Reeves. And uh, Rain Phoenix. Rain Phoenix, there we go. I have to ask Mike Manzi, and 
I was just talking with him and I didn't. So I'll try to next time I'm on with him or, or you know, maybe on the side, ask him because I didn't realize Keanu was in this movie. I'm curious how bad it is because people say it was really bad. So to die for people were a little worried about him directing it because they were like, oh, has he not lost his touch? That's silly to say. But, you know, sometimes in Hollywood, you don't get another shot. Well, yeah, not if you're a woman. <laughs> no, certainly not if you're a woman. But even for him, you know, and the movie, like, you know, spoiler alert, doesn't end up doing that well. But it's such an underrated movie uh, and such an, again, underrated performance. And when we see all the actors who we're going to talk about in this movie, you're like, huh, I think it, this movie kind of is a little ahead of its time as well. But again, we'll get into it. And he just wanted to complete that the Phoenix turkey, I'll call it. You know? <laughs> all his phoenixes, all his his flock of phoenix. <laughs> and this was the first one that he was uh, credited as Joaquin versus, um, oh God, Leaf. I was about to say Feather. Yeah, <laughs> Feather Phoenix. The movie was based on a book by a woman named Joyce Maynard. And she based her novel on a famous, a very famous case of a woman named Pamela Smart, who uh, she was imprisoned for seducing a 16-year-old student of hers to kill her husband, which we see here. And just FYI, if you guys are wondering, 20-something minutes into this podcast, hey, is this a teen movie? It's not a teen movie in a traditional sense, but it becomes a, a teen story and, you know, if you watched the movie and did your homework, you'll know why. But yeah. it takes a bit, half an hour for us to get into the teen aspect of it. But it's what's, her, what's her segment called or her documentary called? It's teen... like teen, teen Talk or something teen like that. Yeah. <laughs> something really... It's just so 90s. I love how 90s this movie is. So, Kyle, you and I were talking off air about that Wayne's World scene from Wayne's World <laughs> 2 with yeah. Garth and uh, why am I forgetting her name? Kim Basinger? Kim Basinger, yeah. And... You know, when she kind of has an affair with him. and Hornet. then impl- Yeah, Honey Hornet, and implies <laughs> that he, he killed her husband. And we were like, oh, this must be all based on this movie. Yeah, they not. do so many parodies in Wayne's World. But Wayne's World's before this, so it's like, huh? But actually, that's based on this story in Wayne's World, because this story was in the news of just like a o- older woman seducing a younger guy, even though... Garth's not that young, but he's emotionally young, you know? <laughs> well, he finally, and, he finally got his pubes. Yeah. <laughs> I can go out on a school night like that, you know? <laughs> so that's what that's based on. And, and you know when stories just become really popular in a certain decade? This was one of them. And there was a lot of stories of, like, teachers sleeping with their students. That and, and like then, that. Uh, oh, who's the, oh, God, who's the guy that got his dick cut off? That was oh, always I always confuse, one. oh, that's that's John Wayne Poppet. That. That's John Wayne Bob? No, I thought it was like, isn't it? Like no, you, like people confuse it. You're thinking of Joey Buttafuoco. Oh, but that was was he? What he he dated the Long Island Lolita, which was he dated like a younger woman. But uh, the stories came out around the same time. People always think Joey Buttafuoco got his penis cut off. But uh, okay, sorry, Joey. Sorry, Joey. Sorry, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> apologies to apologies, Joey. Joey. I know he's a long time <laughs> listener of High School Slumber Party, so apologies, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> not Joey Lewandowski. Not Joey Lewandowski. No, not Either. Joey Lewandowski. <laughs> Joey Buttafuoco. Joey, uh, so, actually, a lot of uh, women are involved in the behind the scenes here. Amy Pascal who would go on to do like the Spider-Man movies. And I think she was like head of Sony or part of Sony for a while. She was a lead producer just to get this movie made. Um, Laura Ziskin ended up being the producer. Laura Ziskin was like, you know, there's like, there's like an overhead producer. And then there's a producer who like is more in charge of the movie. 
you know mm-hmm. that that was Laura Ziskin. It's like a producer, a line producer is more the overhead. She did Pretty Women. She did a bunch of stuff. Unfortunately, we lost her to breast cancer in 2011. But you know, a really, really a groundbreaking producer. They basically, you know, were trying to put this. They bought the book, trying to put it together. They needed someone to write it. And of all people, they got they got the very famous and another person who I don't think enough people talk about today, Buck Henry, to write this. Buck Henry is a comedy god. I can't stress that enough. Uh, are you familiar with Buck Henry, Kyle? The uh, name sounds obviously f- familiar, but uh, enlighten me. I am so sad that even myself don't know enough of Buck Henry's work. He comes out of that same school as uh, Mel Brooks. You know, Woody Allen. I think he even wrote for the Sid Caesar show, like all those guys. And he would go on to write... He's a, he's the, a chosen one? That sounds like a Gentile named Buck Henry. Oh, it's a it's a fake name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that checks out. Needed that. <laughs> what, is, what is Buck Henry's real name? Let me see. Buck Henry. I know it's a fake name. Henry Zuckerman. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> <laughs> So he, he co-wrote The Graduate with Mike Nichols. Yes, okay, yes, now it's all, yeah. He co-wrote What's Up, Doc? with Peter Bonanovich. He worked on the Steve Allen show. Oh, he, he co-wrote Get Smart with Mel Brooks. He hosted SNL 10 times from 1976 to 1980. He's like a comedic god, and we lost, him, la- we lost him last space. year in 2020. And I don't think anyone said anything or did anything, but when you... Like, if you're of a certain age and a certain generation, you know Buck Henry. And he's just not someone... Oh, I know his face. I'm just bad with... Yeah, I recognize his face, yeah. He's actually in the movie. He plays the teacher. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So we lost him and Carl Reiner in the same year. Yeah, Yeah, Carl Reiner, another person from that same school of comedians who wrote so many things. And I was like, Buck Henry wrote this. That's so crazy. And Buck Henry shared an agent, I believe, with Gus Van Sant. And they hired him to direct it. And basically, Buck Henry and Gus Van Sant, who seem like they're from totally different worlds. It's like gay auteur director from Portland meets Buck Henry, like this old school comedy writer. And they really put this movie together from the adaptation of that book. I just found that so fascinating. Yeah, really interesting and fascinating journey that the from a real life story to a book to, you know, screenplay to then this this film that we just watched that's pretty pretty crazy and then the cast as we've been talking about it is just sensational so nicole kidman is our lead here and as i already mentioned this is considered one of her greatest roles and again i don't think it's a role that a lot of people have have really seen to be honest with you she'll later win an oscar and i'm mentioning it because i'm going to mention that with a lot of other people she won for the hours which believe it or not sorry nicole if you're listening is considered one of her more overrated performances. If you look at lists of like her best performances, mm-hmm. The Hours is usually not in her top five, which is crazy. Wow. I don't know what happened that year. Maybe it's a prosthetic nose. And not that she did bad in The Hours, but I think if you're a true like Nicole Kidman student, like that's just a mid-range film. We were kind of talking the other day, with, uh, even though you and I love The Departed, but no one thinks that's Scorsese's best film because he won the Oscar. No, yeah, I mean, so many people just even don't think that that was the best film that year in like the two thousand six, two thousand seven year season of awards and everything like that. But uh, but it's a entertaining movie. It's made by one of the greatest directors. It's a really solid adaptation of a, a you know a international film. It's got such a fucking perfect cast it's funny it's dark it's violent so no, uh, another boston film i didn't yeah. say the boston you know what i mean boston. another boston film I not love a it. fucking co-op film <laughs> co-op <laughs> so meg ryan famously was offered the role offered five million dollars to do it she was all set to go and she 
then she backed out. And Nicole Kidman, who wasn't really a big name at the time, again, she done Batman, she had done like Days of Thunder. She was mostly known for marrying Tom Cruise <laughs> at the time. Or yeah, like what, being... what was their big Irish uh, romance film that they did together? Oh, God, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so she gets this role, and again, I can't express it enough, she knocked it out of the park. So many actors would later say that this performance inspired their own. Reese Witherspoon studied studied this role of Nicole Kidman's for election, a film you and I covered here. For on this sure. podcast with Danny Kim, the aforementioned Danny Kim. Charlize Theron uh, took a lot of this in, for young adult. Um, Roseman Pike said she was inspired by this for Gone Girl. This is something where you and I were just tangentially familiar with the film, but I think actors know her performance in this role. Like you said to me uh, when you were saying, oh, can you be on this episode? And then I guess right when you watched it, just like the I, Tanya vibes. Or you know the vibes oh my you get, goodness. or the vibes you get of to die for in I Tanya. Like I mean, and the fact of just like it would have been the vibes, even if there wasn't ice skating in this movie, it's, just, it's there. <laughs> yeah, but the fact that the movie that. begins and like ends with like someone on the ice, it's just crazy. You know, I'm surprised that uh, on that. I mean, me maybe Margot Robbie, but like you know that she should definitely be on that list of. For sure. <laughs> I like that director who did that movie. I actually like I, Tonya. I don't know his 101 Dalmatian, <laughs> Cruella. You mean the story female movie. Joker movie? <laughs> it's Let's the see. same. The trailer is exactly, it uses like an older, I mean, so many trailers are doing this to this day, like an alternate version or an older song, slow paced song. And like at the end of the Joker trailer, it's like, can you call me Joker? And she's like, I am Cruella. So it's yeah, just... so, really, <laughs> yeah. who knows how that's going to be? But I really did like I Tanya. But I started watching this. I'm like, oh my god, it's completely and a, derivative is such a dirty word, right? Like this, you can pay homage to a movie, you can be inspired by a movie. I'm sure the director would say he was, but yeah, this it's, is I Tanya is different enough, and also like it's just the fact that I Tanya is based off of a real story like that alone. Like if it was just a fictional film and like, you know, then you could say it's more derivative, but the story is already there. It's just like the style in which they're telling it. I think if you like I, Tanya, though, you're going to like this film. I think like if you're just into that style, you're like, Oh, okay. That's good. It's not, they could be considered companion pieces. If anything, that's like the parents or just since I'm an older soul. And when I hear like a friend, like listening to a song, I'm like, well, you know, the original version of this, like, it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good, that's a good way to put it. And just back to Kidman a little bit, right? She really, really studied for this role. She spent three days in bed, uh, just watching just similar things to this, uh, really just news things, 2020, which was popular at the time, you know, those kind of like trash TV, hard copy. I don't know if you remember hard copy. Oh yeah. I remember that kind of stuff. She, and you mentioned it, Kyle, she ends up not getting nominated for an Oscar. Um, she was nominated for a BAFTA. She was nominated for some other, other things, but not nominated for an Oscar. And she famously got a letter from Sean Penn that said you were robbed. And Nicole Kidman has said, that meant more to her than anything because she really did put her heart and soul in this. I think if you took most like upper echelon actors like her and put them in a room and, and you say, what really was your best performance? And they might tell you something different than what the awards shows do. You know, I think that's the lesson here. I'd also want to mention, too, Meg Ryan has regretted, really regretted not taking this role. 
She was a judge at Cannes for a Gus Van Sant film. It might have been Milk. I don't think it was this one. And she went up to Gus and she's like, I voted for your movie. And one of the biggest reasons why I would voted for your movie was that I really regret not taking to die for. <laughs> Apparently, it was too edgy for, for her like rom-com too image at the time. Edgy? What was she... She's in that one movie where she's doing like full frontal, like like they joke about it in Knocked Up, like full on book. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know. Look, whatever. <laughs> and of of course, the, the rest of this cast, we got to do it right. Joaquin Phoenix. So many people read for this role. He ends up getting it. Uh, Matt Damon was actually the favorite and was likely to get it, but he was twenty three. He looked a little too old. He ended up losing a bunch of weight. Joaquin Phoenix, though, walked in, really, really won them over. I'm sure the connection with River Phoenix had to do something with his casting as well, being that the director was familiar with his brother and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, They kindly told Matt Damon, sorry, this isn't for you. But he would later return the favor, obviously, when uh, when Gus Van Sant directs Goodwill Hunting. Remember, famously Goodwill Hunting. I'm saying famously a lot, but there's a lot of lore around this movie and around uh, this kind of stuff. Matt Damon... Ben Affleck, they write Goodwill Hunting. They go to their friend Kevin Smith and say, "Hey, do you want to direct it?" And he's like, "Um, this isn't really <laughs> the kind of movie I direct." And that's that's why they go to good another... on Kevin Smith. I love good Kevin on... Smith, but good on <laughs> Kevin Smith. I agree. So that's why they went to Gus Van Sant. So he had a relationship with, and Gus was like, "I'll definitely do it, and you guys can be in it, no problem." You know, he beefed up the screenplay though, right? Didn't it like kind of change? I mean, the joke was always that Matt did the heavy lifting and Ben is the slacker. But then, <laughs> but then you look later and you're like you see like Ben Affleck as an uh, as a director, an Academy Award winning director. Yeah, or, so who really knows? Yeah. You know what I mean? But I, I, Gus Van Sant definitely or helped maybe out. Academy Award winning producer. I don't know if he won director. I don't want to misspeak. Anyway, but while Matt Damon was in talks and really, really wanting this role, he thought it was going to be his breakout role. He said, "Oh, you should cast my f- best friend." as one of the other students, which was the Russell Hines character. And he was talking about Ben Affleck. When he didn't get the role, he's like, well, they're not going to cast Ben. We're the same age. He's like, you know what? You should cast his younger brother, Casey. And that's why Casey, this is Casey's first role ever like this. So Casey actually predates Ben with working with Gus Van Sant. I know Casey Affleck's in Goodwill Hunting, but I always thought like that's, like Ben was like, hey, just put my brother in the movie. And I didn't yeah. realize he's in this, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's the connection there. Obviously, it worked out. I mean, Casey Affleck goes and wins an Oscar someday. Joaquin Phoenix wins an Oscar. And, uh, like you said, Nicole Kidman wins an Oscar. Matt and Ben win their Oscars. But um, just for the story they're telling and like the the music that's being in this used in this movie, like, especially for the teens and like this punk rockness, like they just. I mean, Matt Damon's too pretty. Ben Affleck's too pretty. Like. Casey and Joaquin just like have this like scrawny, scrapper, dirty, (laughs) like, you know, some is obviously styled, but they just have this, they have, I don't know, more like just menacing punk rock asshole teenager look to them. That's actually uh, another reason why the producers didn't want Matt Damon. They said he looked too Hollywood, right? Like, and that's why Matt Damon also lost all the weight, too, so he could look younger and he could look, like, more scraggly. Ended up being for nothing. <laughs> but, yeah, you're absolutely right, Kyle. I think they casted perfectly here. And pff, it's not like you're missing the mark by casting Joaquin Phoenix and Casey Affleck. As you mentioned, both would win Oscars. And 
This is where they meet for the first time. Famously, Casey Affleck marries Joaquin Phoenix's sister. And that famously, they create your favorite film of all time. Do you remember the name? Do you remember the name? Because we always, we always mess it up. We always yeah, mess it up. I need to try to like, think of just like both. Um, <laughs> I'm not really here. I'm not there. I'm not there. I'm still here is the Bob Dylan Bob one. Bob Dylan one, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> and I, I, I'm i not there was that film, guys, if you remember, um, where Joaquin Phoenix like was in character the entire time. He went on Letterman and was just like an asshole yeah he's pulling um, a whole kaufman-esque i'm a rapper now but it just didn't work because of social media like it just social media and that production was a disaster for a lot of reasons yes it just like wasn't landing casey affleck by the way was the director but also so i just want to address this casey affleck is kind of on a you know i don't want to say he's canceled but he definitely we know casey affleck has had sexual harassment allegations they came from shooting that movie apparently he was like a monster on set he was very inappropriate with the women that worked on the set of that film if you want to call it a freaking film and he denied it at first and then i know that like controversy surrounded him when he won that oscar for manchester by the sea he declined to give the award the next year because of the controversy they settled that those lawsuits and Mm -hmm. he has since then admitted yeah i was an asshole he's he sought out help, and again, he admitted to it. That doesn't make it better, but it kind of does in a sense that a lot of people just run away from these allegations, and a lot of people just pretend they didn't happen. At the very least, he fessed up to it. I'm not forgiving him for that, FYI, but it's something we need to mention. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, just watching that ridiculous like mockumentary, whatever you want to call it, it just seems like neither of them were in a great place neither of them meaning casey or joaquin uh joaquin phoenix i actually met him once because i briefly worked on a movie called reservation road it's like yeah him and mark ruffalo and jennifer Connolly, and um i went up to him and you're not supposed to do this but i'm uh, <laughs> I, I, um i think 19 years old and so i go up to him and terry george the director are talking <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> and I go up and I just say like I just want to say this is like the first thing I'm ever working on and uh it just means like <laughs> the world to me and uh you know like I was like oh, I loved uh Ho- Hotel uh, Rwanda and I, said, <laughs> and I said and Joaquin Phoenix I mean you're just you're amazing. You're just, so even back then like I mean I tr- I fell in love with him kind of once he came back and like the master but back then I thought he was just such a you know, give the actor as well. You're a big Joaquin guy. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was really cool. And he was just like, oh, so what are you, this is the first, and he kind of talked to me for a little bit. And when I went up to him, point being, he was like smoking a cigarette during, at, it seemed like it was five minutes. It was probably two minutes conversation at most. Like he smoked a cigarette and then started another. Like he just, ha- and he just se- like seemed like a jittery guy. It seems like they kind of had a weird childhood uh, there was like a whole cult thing going on, and then just one, when River died, I think that really, I don't know, I just feel like he's never fully like healed. I mean, I'm no fucking psychologist, therapist, anything like that. I think he's just someone that's dealt with a lot of issues in his life, and so that's where kind of also this idea of this mockumentary, and just, uh, I think they're also two very bright guys, but yeah, not, not giving them any excuses, but it's... Casey Affleck is doing just a little bit better than some other people out there with allegations and just some horrible things that have come to uh, come in light 
of uh, sexual harassment or, or you know, in other cases, sexual or worse, assault yeah. or worse, exactly. And just, yeah, that, that, that movie just also seemed ridiculous. I mean, I just remember one point they're like, they're, they, I think they got like real hookers and like Joaquin Phoenix is like staring from a multiple floor window. He's like, I can smell her asshole from here. Like just like weird. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> point being, just... I, I didn't see it. I don't want to see it. It's just it's yeah, very interesting. I mean, and the, another reason he was picked actually over Ben as well. Or Matt Damon, because there was a consideration for moving Matt Damon into, like, the friend role, which is really stupid. But is that he had the thickest Boston accent of all of them. They were already kind of polished as actors already. And mm-hmm. he this is his actual voice at the time, Casey Affleck. Um, and the, the story does take place in New England, so it's not, like, random. Yeah, we see him. Uh, I think he's raking the clams later on or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ilena Douglas as the sister, Janice Moreto. So she's the sister of, of course, Matt Dillon, who plays Larry Moretto. And he's, not, by the way, he's never won an Oscar, but he was Oscar nominated for one of your favorite films, Crash. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Fuck that movie. <laughs> but she's, she's great, I think, in this, Alina Douglas, as the sister. I love when we talk to her. Like, I love her kind of the way she's narrating and the ice skating, you know what I mean? She could really skate, which was awesome. She's in a movie you covered, The New Guy. She, yeah, she was in The New Guy. She was. <laughs> I always think she, of her, she's a, like, a, not small, small, but a smaller role in um, Cape Fear. Cape Fear she's in. There's another movie that we've talked about her on this podcast. It was actually our high school friend, Wes Levina, and I. One of his favorite films, Ghost World. She's a big part of that film. So uh, we've seen her before on this podcast. We've, we've talked about her. I, I think she, after Nicole Kidman, she's just so great in what she's doing. She is that, like... Just again, she clearly hates Nicole Kidman's character and it comes out and she tries to mask it sometimes, but then she's like, fuck it. And yeah, I think she does a great job. And again, along with Matt Dillon, um, apparently Matt Dillon wasn't happy with how his role turned out, but I don't know what he was expecting. He's just playing like a dumb, I'm saying Italian because they make it very clear in this movie, you know, he's playing like a dumb Italian stereotype. Uh, You know what I mean? Yeah, like they even, they talk like that he just has a high school education and he's like, Bar, you know, working the bar at his dad's restaurant, like you know, making a and living. Nothing but... Foodie no, films, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no, nothing, nothing wrong with that. But just like the, but he's a simple yeah. man. He's a simple man. Yeah, he. Rev- I mean, love. come on. He's just like he's revving up his motorcycle in a very sexual way. Uh, it's. Just I love. Like... I and I think that they play a great brother and sister. Like their dynamic is pretty interesting. The whole family's interesting. And just wanted to mention though that Alina Douglas. She beat out a lot of hot names at the time. She beat out Sandra Bullock. Believe it or not, Ellen DeGeneres was up for the role. Janine Garofalo. And a list of other people. But I think they cast it right here. Um, those people, some of them seem too Hollywood. Some of them seem like they just don't fit. It, she, she seems great for this. Oh, this is a perfectly casted film, for sure. For sure. Quickly, let's just run through some fun names here. Here's a name who I didn't know. Alison Foland. She played Lydia Mertz, the third kid. I think she did a really great job. But she... she hasn't didn't really do much hasn't really done much um <laughs> gus and Zan will put her in like what i'm on imdb right now and i clicked on her name she's in i'm not there that's funny <laughs> that is funny but if you look at like her imdb it's also it looks like it's all like i don't want to say favors for gus van Sam, but they're like little things in the background of his films or even casey affleck's films uh see you know but i thought she did a really good job here daniel hadea plays the dad 
uh, Joe Moretto, the the Italian dad. We have to talk about him because he's the dad in, in Clueless. Clueless, uh, obviously one of the most popular high school films of all time. He's just a great character actor. A Night at the, the Roxbury. A Night at the Roxbury. A, te- a movie I guess we're technically gonna... a foodie film. Technically, yeah. Ooh, I never thought of it like that, but you're right. Yeah. Uh, another film we're going to cover for this podcast, Dick. Where he played Nixon. Oh yeah, he plays he plays Nixon, and uh, he was. Uh, I the first thing I probably ever saw him in was Rookie of the Year. He Rookie plays I think year. like the GM or like the owner's nephew. Probably I, I forgot exactly. Something like uh, that. But so much stuff. We talked about him in that movie called Swim Fan. Oh, he's in Commando. I yeah, he's yeah, he plays a Latino <laughs> in Commando, but he's like Lebanese, so good for him. <laughs> playing Italian, actor. playing Latinos, and he's Lebanese. Good for him. Wayne Knight. Is it this? Of course, everyone knows him from Seinfeld as Newman, but Jurassic Park. Yeah, one of your of favorite characters. You've got Butterfingers. What's his name? Dennis Nedry. Nedry, yeah, yeah. For some reason, I always think of him too in Basic Instinct because he's in that very infamous Sharon Stone scene, which has like a vibe of this film. I was trying to look up like I was trying to look up like contemporary because that was the whole thing. And then I was googling like uh, what was Wayne's World like Kim Basinger role inspired by, but then I just put like in you know. You know, it was other just like femme fatale films, and yeah, like that's definitely one of them for sure. Kurtwood Smith, probably don't recognize the name, but Red Foreman is her dad. <laughs> I love Kurtwood Smith. I follow him on Instagram. Oh, really? Is yeah. he a good follow? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so he's her dad. He's uh, Suzanne Stone Moretto. Suzanne Stone is Nicole Kidman's character's name, and he plays her dad. And the mom is played. By the great Holland Taylor, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast. From George well. of the Jungle? From George of the Jungle, yes. <laughs> she would go on to win an Emmy for the practice. So another award winner here. Nice. Um, just again, we mentioned Buck Henry's The Teacher, a lot of cool little cameos. Oh, did you see that David Cronenberg is ends up being the killer? Ends up being the killer. Oh, that's the killer at the end. That's David Cronenberg. Oh, okay. Interesting. The director, right? Like, I knew his name. I didn't know what he looked like. And then I was reading the trivia. I'm like, what? That's so random. I'm sure, like, you know, the Manzies of the world are big fans of Cronenberg. I'll ask him as well. You know, he does a lot of that kind of stuff. Scanners, I think, was a movie he did. Like, what a weird little cameo there. You're leaving out a a big name. Who? Who did I miss? George Siegel, who passed away today. Oh! Wait, George Siegel passed away today as we're recording? Maybe, like, last night, but, like, was I saw Bob Saget wow. post about it on Twitter. Wow, rest in peace, George Siegel. We have to dedicate this the episode The late, to great Academy Award-nominated actor, George Siegel, who's afraid of What was he nominated for? Who's afraid of Oh, okay, okay. I mean, what a legend. Yeah, fun with, legend. And, fun with Dick and Jane, a film I'm going to eventually cover once I'm out of A's of uh, foodie films who's killing the great chefs of europe oh yeah yeah i know you've told me about that film your favorite film of all time look who's talking cable guy cable guy yeah he was actually i've been like rewatching larry sanders and he is like he, you know he, he's someone that plays himself on the show and larry's trying to get like new and exciting guests and then like george Siegel's <laughs> always his fallback and he tells the same stories <laughs> it's, 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 it was just so funny and so awesome and it just seems like uh I mean, just a lot of people obviously are recognizing and thinking of him today. So you know where I recognized him the most, and it's like really ridiculous. Just Remember shoot that me. show? Yeah, just shoot <laughs> me with David Spade. Yeah, wow. Oh my God, rest in peace. I'm glad you you reminded me that he was in this film, and he he's great in that little cameo. So many people apparently wanted to do that cameo, and they gave it to him. Yeah, he just he just has this. 
great <laughs> cadence and great voice yes. and just pulled off that like the hand on the thigh and telling that story and Nicole Kidman in that scene just like the I don't get it like in the whole with the, with the letter situation oh my god it's just it's so good so yes rest in peace the late great George Siegel yeah again we dedicate this episode to him let, and let's start talking about the film. I know we spent a, no, I know we spent a lot on the cast, but part of the reason is how great this cast is. The opening to this is very interesting. Again, it's very this is very much a satire of what was happening at the time. It's kind of pre the reality TV we know, but it's more like I said, like that hard copy stuff. Yes, twenty twenty. Yeah, that whole style of just like Barbara what, Walters. Yeah, which is which, who's mentioned in the film. Which also it pays off that the movie is also then about that kind of you know it's like commenting on the time, and the movie's doing that with Nicole Kidman's character, but then even the way that they're telling this movie's story, they're using that quality. So it's really it's meta on uh, a few levels. <laughs> Yeah, and it's one of these movies with like unfaithful narrators in a sense, like which is one could compare that to the news, right? And media. We're not going to get into a political thing about it, but we get our information from another source. It's secondhand usually, unless you were there for for a lot of these things. We're getting the information in this film secondhand. A lot of it, we're seeing it actually play out, but it's being mirrored by these interviews, including the interview we see, which ends up being, you know, paid off in the end. Suzanne's, like, kind of white background interview, which Nicole Kidman filmed herself just with the camera, like, alone in the room, which is amazing. Oh, wow. I think that's so cool. And just for the sister and the, the parents on that talk show, you know, yeah, what we're hearing is show. not... Exactly, yeah. This was such an era for these kind of talk shows, too. That talk show, so that's post everyone's death? Yes, and yes. The, so, are the parents just supposed to be cashing in at this point? Like, why would they be in the same room together? Suzanne's parents don't know that, again, just skip it to the end, but Suzanne's parents don't know that the Morettos killed her daughter. No, but, I mean, I'm assuming once the ice thaws, they find her body, but maybe this interview is beforehand. Point being, so at that, I don't oh, know. I'm, you, I'm do, very do, much do, assuming. Do you, do you think at that point, do, do you think that interview takes place before or after her body is found like do they think she's just missing definitely before i think everything in this movie is pre the body being found i think the last thing Ah, we see i think the last thing the last image we see which i love and we'll talk about is the last image you know once you know that if you rewatch this movie which i actually did uh like right before this you kind of see the looks in the Moretto's faces like they kind of know what's going on and they're kind of <laughs> on this talk show just to not have an alibi, but you know what I mean? Just like play innocent to everything yeah. that's happening. And uh, and this stuff, like these interviews and the talk show stuff, but mostly the talking to the camera interviews things. I love it so much because the actors are just having a blast. Like mm-hmm. I can just see them chewing up like the the words and like the scenes and just like the way Wayne Knight is having fun about like talking about the tapes and everything like that like oh we got we got we got a few bucks for that one like it, that's what really I mean gave this film I think a little extra little little edge for me this is clearly an actor's movie you know I know it's very much a director's movie and an editor's movie all that but this is very much like I could see being an actor and getting really excited to play these roles. Maybe that's why Matt Dillon was a little disappointed. He's not the like most interesting person on camera, but whatever, Matt Dillon. Um, 
when we have that first Alina interview and we see like how they meet, not just Elena. Uh, what's the sister's name? I'm going to use her name here. Uh, Janice, Janice, great name, Janice. Um, we see not just how Janice meets our main character here. Uh, we see basically the meet cute between Larry Moretto <laughs> and, and his future wife Suzanne Stone Moretto. Um, when you know when he's playing that he's playing the show at his dad's restaurant, like he I don't know he's a drummer or whatever, and there's all those women like staring at him. And I and I saw this a lot from that character's eyes. I don't know if this has actually happened. They're no, all like she, pretty she, brunettes. The, Janice says like. Yeah, he did well for himself. Yeah. He's like, I don't know why she chose. I don't know why he chose Suzanne. Well, she was blonde, right? And you yeah. look at that room and they're all <laughs> brunettes. And she's just like this beautiful blonde in this like traditional dress. And and how this is progressing is pissing her off. And just the way Suzanne talks to her, suggesting she gets plastic surgery at one point, uh, just to like be more presentable. Because Janice, like she's like an amateur ice skater. I don't call her an amateur. Like She's a professional, but she's not, like, an Olympic thing or anything. She does, like, occasional shows from time to time, you know what I mean? And just Suzanne's condescending way about her. A lot of professionals who've watched this movie say that Suzanne has, like, a uh, narcissistic personality disorder. And Hmm. if she does, it makes total sense, right? Like, everything is based on her. Everything is, like, set up for... Or she wants everything set up for her to succeed. She doesn't realize she's being mean, if that makes sense. And it's just incredible to see these early scenes and the resentment build up. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely early on, like that's my one little gripe with the film and and I, and I will then play devil's advocate to myself right away. It's just like, I don't, I don't know her motivation because clearly then like, I mean, to get to the Who? point of S- Suzanne, like I really don't like the motivation of just like, then finally like, asking these teens to like kill your husband i I mean i think her motivation was just that she has one goal in life one goal just to be on tv and to be famous and her motivation is this guy the husband starts getting in the way before he's an accessory and again we'll get to it but before he's an accessory and now at that point she's just so focused on what she is that she's willing to make up even this story that he's abusive or this and that because she thinks she's going to get publicity from it. It's not just like he's in the way. So just to be clear, she thinks that she can advance her career through it. She's delusional. She's completely delusional. She's not all there, clearly. Yeah. No, I know. And the, But then the parents are just like too normal about it that I'm just like a little confused by it. And then just even like, out of the, like when she gets married and she like, ugh, it's so creepy. She like whispers in Kurtwood Smith's ear like, I'll never find it guy like you daddy like or as good as you daddy he's like what is what did you say (laughs) and i love his reaction because people like her they think of their lines in advance almost because everything has to be exactly how they want um so they do get married as you said and she what is it she gets a veil that's the same as maria shriver's it's so specific but so important to her and you're absolutely right that line is so creepy her parents are naive they see her little their little daughter and they're just kind of blind to it but they feel it they feel a little bit of it because that moment was great because if the dad was like haha i wouldn't have bought it as much as i did but the fact that he was like that is like oh she thought of that line she's probably thinking of that line for years when i get married the perfect guy i'm gonna have maria shriver shriver's veil and i'm gonna go to my dad and i'm gonna say this line so so weird 
Some of the scenes that I really, really ended up like liking, though, is when they go on their honeymoon, and it's the Florida, and he goes off fishing, and <laughs> he's like, oh, she's going to be on TV one day. Or, like, she's she doesn't like to tan because cause it's not good on TV, and so one of the guys on the fishing boat says, oh, where have I seen her on TV? He's like, you will one day. It just shows, like, Matt Dillon's naivete, and yeah. just... His belief that she's just the most beautiful, amazing person in the world. Yeah, he just falls in that he uses, like, phrases like, my little lady, or, you know, like, that, just that kind of stuff. How about this subtle, not, actually, I shouldn't say subtle, not so subtle, like, anti-Italian feelings oh. of, like, most of the town, and especially, like, her family. Even her, she's like, oh, you know, they made me feel like what it would be like with an ethnic family. <laughs> like, oh, God, you know, we won't we won't get into it, but you know how much I just loved every minute of it. Kerwood Smith being like, and, you know, yeah, we were a little nervous at first if he was, um, you know, uh, connected to the mob, mob or mafia. He's just, and he looks right away, like, recognizing, like, you know, just like oh shit and this is because this is when they're on that tv show or whatever and he looks over yeah. and he's just like oh you know i don't mean it it's not no it's okay you know but at that time it's just like if what you're saying if i mean if it's true yeah then like he knows he just like spoke in italian and had a woman killed so <laughs> <laughs> well that's the funny thing about this there's this underlying thread about like the, the difference that italian people and these italian people are not like we're not watching The Godfather here or anything. They're just like, no, these, regular... are New, these are New England Italians, all right? Yeah, but they're, they're regular people, though. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but sure, they're not sure in Boston. They, have... they were kicked out by the mix, you know? <laughs> God. No, he, no he said reason it, not me. to cry over. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, please. Stop. No slurs. No we more talked slurs about it today. already. I'm not going to say more slurs, but just listen to what Jack Nicholson <laughs> says about Italians. It's great. <laughs> Regardless, you know, the, the dad, he owns an Italian restaurant, but he's not like overly freaking ethnic by any means or anything like that. But, you know, there are lo- there's a lot of moments the teacher even says, like when he's beating up Casey Affleck, like, you don't know what could happen. They could be well connected. Uh, <laughs> so and it ends up, again, being true being that they true, are yeah. connected. That is, yeah, Which is exactly. hilarious. I like laughed so hard when that ended up being the case because it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, but I was going to mention, though, when they're in Florida, she planned this whole honeymoon, not just because the dude likes fishing, but because there was a broadcasting conference there. I, yeah, because I don't, don't so the parents say on the show, like, yeah, she doesn't like Florida? Or yeah, because of the sun. The, the sun, sun and that kind of stuff. Yeah, like she's not a beach person and... Yeah, it's that's great. And then we get then we get the great terrific scene with George Siegel. First we get like just like the we don't see what she's doing and you know, Matt Dillon goes out on the boat and then he's asleep in bed and she comes in at like one forty five in the morning and, and jumps on her or whatever. But uh then Do we Do you get... think she did something with George Siegel? Oh yeah. 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 So that confused me a little bit because so he tells a story about a famous uh New York uh, correspondent, you know, I'm not saying it's Barbara Walters, obviously, I'm saying, but it's a Barbara Walters type, clearly, like someone who's very, very famous, and Kitty he's... Kirk. No, it was not that time. <laughs> Connie Chung. I don't, again, this is a fake story, so it's not real. Yes. But regardless, he's saying how basically, you know, in, in different words, how she performed fellatio on someone and got, got the job, and now she's the most famous person in, in the news without really earning it or whatever, right? And then that's when, like, Suzanne, like, a light bulb clicks for Suzanne. So I assume they hooked up, but nothing really comes from it, right? Well, nothing really comes from it, except then she ha- she gets that idea for... Because the whole thing is that whoever this famous 
woman is, New York journalist or whatever, the whole thing is she showed up into the office and had a letter from her past boss saying yes, like, and yes. that she'll, she'll, you know, pardon my French, suck your cock. And then we see later on that for this rinky-dink little local TV station, Suzanne is about to hand Wayne Knight the same letter and then rips it up, you know? I totally get that. So that's the least she ta- that she took away from it, but I think something happened. So when I saw that, I thought she didn't do anything with the guy, regretted it, and was like, let me try to do it with this local station here, at least get the start that way. But who knows? We don't know. Maybe they did hook up and maybe he's like come to new york and she's like i can't do that because of my husband i don't know but it does leave that a little bit mysterious but you're absolutely right when she does go back and and she does interview with wayne knight he's totally like this is a local station you're just gonna be getting coffee and she's like so professional about it and she gets angry that she isn't really given the opportunity to hand him the letter you know and it's cool because like that little station does not work like these big new york stations where it's like Obviously, something like that would go on because Wayne Knight's character and like the other dude who works there, they're not even possibly conceiving that. You know what I mean? <laughs> they don't think they have any kind of power in that little town, and they really don't. Yeah, I you know the more I think about it, I, no, I mean I, I I think I think she and George Siegel, or I shouldn't say George Siegel, but whatever his character's name is, <laughs> you know, I th- no, I, don't. I, th- I think something happened, and then just seeing how like you know fucking disgusting he is. That he was probably like, oh yeah, and I'll I'll call. Kind of the same thing she's doing to the kids later on. Like, yeah, you know what? There really isn't this or whatever because I don't know. Just in theory, and this is me hating on Wayne Knight or uh, shaming him in any kind of way. So you're telling me she took that lesson, but wouldn't do that to George Siegel, who clearly has power more. You know, just cl- clearly has more power than Wayne Knight, and then she's about to do that for like you know in the Wayne Knight situation with the letter and everything like that? Like, I think... I don't know. I don't uh, know. I mean, uh. I, it, it's only plausible in a sense where I said... I don't think she said, no, I'm not doing it with the guy. It just maybe didn't happen. He, he does put her hand on her. By the way, a little, like, funny trivia thing that Edward Herman... We love Edward Herman. Rest in peace. He auditioned for this role as well, and he put his hand on the reader during this, and he... You're not supposed to do that, and he got so embarrassed. He was, like, profusely apologizing. <laughs> <laughs> Also, just really quickly, when you were mentioning the actor's name instead of the character, uh, it made me think of uh, Tom Cruise. Yeah. He wasn't doing a movie at the time, so he was on set a lot. Him and Nicole Kidman had a house where they were shooting this, and you know he would visit the set, and Matt Dillon would hang out with him a lot, because Matt Dillon and him knew each other from The Outsiders, a movie we've covered here. Oh. So I thought that was cool. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one last thing I'll say about that scene is right after um, he says to her, like, so and touches her thigh, like, so, you know, so, like whatever, like what, whatever line is. So, so what do you think, Suzanne? And then she just kind of like takes a like puts her mouth around the straw. It's a little phallic. Like I'm just you know. Oh, kinda, for sure. I just stuff. yeah. The only thing that made me question is that she got nothing from it, and we didn't have a payoff. There were there were apparently a lot of scenes that wound up on the cutting room floor. The movie did not test well. It didn't end up doing well. I think I think it only made a couple million dollars off of its budget and I know that, that Gus Van Zandt had to change a couple things supposedly it didn't affect the final cut but maybe that's something we lost because you're right we get almost close to nude scenes here too but we don't get any maybe in the, that the original cut we do get those scenes and we do get 
maybe a sex scene or something even a little bit more implied there that were cut out. I'm not really sure, but it's an interesting question. But this is really where our teen story starts to kick in. When she gets the job at the news place and she's like pitching all these ideas, pitching all these ideas. And she's like, ooh, I finally got one. When she's like the, the teen talk thing and goes to the high school. But really Wayne Knight's like, yeah, I just essentially didn't want to say no to her. Or like, I, <laughs> I was too lazy to say no to her anymore. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I love that moment where she's in school and she's just like talking about being on TV and the project she's doing and Casey Affleck's being a little shithead. Today's guest, Mrs. Moretto, is a representative of our local television station, WWEN. And she's uh, going to- air correspondent. I'm sorry? Well, actually, I'm an on-air correspondent. Well, that's fine. Uh, anyway, Mrs. Moretto has asked to have a few words with you, and I know that while I'm gone, you will give her your best attention. Here's my best attention. <laughs> Did you say something, Russell? Oh, Mr. Philanson, I didn't. Didn't. Um, well, first of all, uh, I would like to thank you all for extending me the courtesy of your time and attention. Yeah, I got something to extend. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like to say that I hope you'll all be as excited about the project I'm here to propose to you as I am. First of all, I want to ask, um, have any of you actually ever been on television before? Not counting home video, of course. No one? That <laughs> <laughs> was. <laughs> What's your name? Lee Mertz. And how did it happen that you made this appearance? Oh, it was it was down at Benson's Electronics. They have this this video camera in the window, and when you walk by, they take your picture. <laughs> well, Lydia, this may come as a surprise, but that is how some of our most famous personalities started out. Just seeing what they looked like accidentally. Is that true? Absolutely. <laughs> and even when she walks in, the way Joaquin is looking at her, like, oh my God, this is a woman, you know? Yeah. It's against so against that cool. punk rock, like you know, just like the music in this movie is ridiculous. It's awesome. It's ridiculous and it's awesome, and I a hundred percent agree. And seeing these kids, they cast them so perfectly because they're grungy, like you said, and they're dirty. They're like pre freaks and geeks, geeks. Probably <laughs> I wrote that down actually. Like they reminded me of the freaks and geeks set. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and the girl. She she's such a cool character because she's she's like dumb and she's like, you know what I mean? Lydia is her name. When she raises like she's like um Suzanne's like, has anyone been on TV before? Oh, uh, poor Lydia. <laughs> and Lydia's like, Yeah, I have. I went down to Jensen's Electronics and and uh they had a video thing and they showed me on TV and everyone's laughing at her because like you're a moron. But the way that Suzanne is like, some of the most famous people saw themselves on TV like that for the first time and they realize that that's where they need to belong. And the light in this character's eyes, when it happens, they're like, oh my god, I could be on TV too. But the way Gus Van Zant is filming them, like, she's not a bigger girl necessarily, but she's like frumpy, for lack of a better word, you know what I mean? And she's like putting her face together in shots. Like, she's definitely not being filmed like super elegant in contrast to Suzanne, where Suzanne is always elegant and always in those like dresses that make her look like she's in the 50s. Lydia's 
the opposite of that. But she see, she's like, I can be a Suzanne. She sees that and she signs up to do this interview. Jimmy, who is Joaquin Phoenix's character, signs up to do this interview because he's completely in love with Suzanne. And and Russell, who's Casey Affleck's character, is forced to because the teacher beats him up and says, like, you shouldn't have offended her. So they become the three for teen talk. Uh, what do you think of, I guess, the whole classroom? And before we get into, like, the crime story here, just the whole, like, teen talk thing and, and these actors. <laughs> I mean, I just love... Also, we're getting interviews with... We never get an interview with... Um, Casey Affleck's character, which is interesting, but we get Joaquin Phoenix. We know he he's in jail, like from the first time we're getting interviews with him. Yeah, just like meeting his character and just like saying like, yeah, you know, like he's just so soft spoken in this movie. And just yeah. like I was named, I was named after. You know, no one ever called me James before. My mom said that I was named after like one of her favorite actors, like Jimmy Dean. But I I, I always tell people Jim Morrison because he's just so cool and you know like, <laughs> like even though you know taking his like you know uh you know his his member out on stage uh yeah he's just a cool guy what, what is, <laughs> oh my god you just remind me what does he say he has this line about like oh every time it's something i have to jerk off sorry oh what is it yeah oh god i gotta look this up oh it's um oh it's on the tip of my tongue the weather oh yeah i never really give a rat's ass about the weather until I got to know Mr. Moretto. Now, I take it very serious. If it rains, or there's lightning or thunder, or if it snows, I have to check off. Uh, hmm. Oh, right. Sorry. And later that's played off because Suzanne's first job is that she's a weather girl yeah. or weather reporter or whatever. And she's like overdoing it every time. You know what I mean? But... The way he says it, he's like, every time I hear the weather, I just have to jerk off. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. So Joaquin, too, you know? Like, so Joaquin. It made me think of the master, honestly. Yeah, like exactly. Oh, no, it's it's that's a really, yeah, that's an interesting uh, companion, uh, companion to, like, this film. Or just, like, character companion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In this, like, there's no question of who the master is to him, right? It's Suzanne. Like, she's pulling the strings, so... Again, I don't think those two films have really been compared, I think, I think they should a, be. I think technically the overall master is the Italian mafia. Mm. <laughs> possibly, possibly, who knows? This is really a mafia film. <laughs> pulling the strings, just like Geppetto. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, again, early on, we don't know who he is, but we see that he's just in prison, and we also see the girl as well. Um, she's like just doing this interview from a car and we learn like what she's doing the interview for later as well but as we're as we're like building 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 with this teen talk again i love wayne knight first he's like you know we made a lot she's like we made a lot of breakthroughs or something along those lines and wayne knight's like yeah she she had like 40 hours of footage (laughs) (laughs) you know another uh, movie that this really reminded me of for, for whatever reason, and it wasn't mentioned in any of the trivia or any of the research I did. But it's a movie that you and I, I think we saw it together, but we definitely have talked about this movie a lot. Another underrated film, but that's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Nightcrawler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we saw, I think we saw that with Dan Kim, actually. Ah, you know, this is, so, <laughs> that, that makes too much And sense. I just listened to Jake Gyllenhaal on WTF, so. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. That. That's a weird. You're actually um, stealing some of the movies. We're talking. We're talking a lot of the movies that are gonna be uh, for my segment later. Ooh, I won't spoil it too much. <laughs> but it just that character in 
Nightcrawler of Jake Gyllenhaal is like he is like equally as delusional. Also has to do with the news a little bit. You know yeah, what I mean? Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Sorry guys if you haven't seen it, but he'll also kill for his goal. Yeah, yeah. I was like, whoa. So this is this is a character maybe we see a lot, but whenever it's done right, ooh, I really, 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 really love. Who directed that? Oh boy, um... Dan Gilroy. Just looked him up. Oh, he's Rene Russo's husband. That makes sense because she's in that movie. Um, he did Real Steel. Which got a little uh, second wind, I think, during pandemic. Yeah, during pandemic, yeah, it was doing well on the streaming services. Under I think Nightcrawler good is movie. Best film. Oh yeah, Nightcrawler is really good. Yeah, but the James Jimmy thing hilarious because his parents, who we kind of see, we kind of see parents in the background um, from time to time. His parents named him, like you said, Jimmy, and she calls him James because it's more proper. And ugh, that just woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the heat between teenager and adult. <laughs> How old do you think she's supposed to be? She's supposed to be in her 20s, so it's not yeah. terrible. She's supposed to be in her mid-20s. No, okay, it's terrible. I'm <laughs> yeah, not saying it's not. Gonna, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's not like uh, she's supposed to be 25, 26. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, just because like, I wasn't sure like how much. Because like, they definitely seem to like make her and Matt Dillon like, a little younger in the beginning of the film. Like Obviously him like playing in a band with his friends. But just the way she's like... Dressed at the bar, like, I just wasn't also sure how much time, well, no, I do know how much time is supposed to be, because they celebrate their one-year anniversary, I don't know how long they're supposed to be dating for, that so kind of stuff, so she, when she meets him, she's already, has her associate's degree, so she's at least 22, you know, let's say okay. she's supposed to be 25, so maybe she's supposed to be, like, 23, 24 mm-hmm. uh, in this movie, and we don't know his age, but it's around the same, I'm assuming. Yeah. She seduces Joaquin Phoenix, and how awkward is it when she kind of has that I want to call it party. Her husband goes out of town for something and she's a little bit angry. She's getting angry at him because he's like taking his life more seriously, believe it or not. <laughs> he, want, he wants kids. Uh, he wants kids. He wants to like run the restaurant and he's like, I got plans for the restaurant. I want you to help me run some of the entertainment nights. You know yeah. I mean? Like he does like nice, like I'm not saying he's like the greatest guy, but in the but end, he's definitely like, not a bad guy. He's not he's a bad the... guy. Like he sells his drum set. Like he like is like, becoming he's everything for her yeah getting everything. everything got like he's boring you know, as fuck got yeah got the ring got you know got the condo for him got her a mustang like you know just Ooh, i don't mustang, know just, yeah. does uh, he give her the dog yeah he gives her it's never they say later on they say that later on but it's like not it's just like she goes to the front door and there's just a package but then you hear a motorcycle revving away so i just like before they say it at the end i just correlated with that it's weird that we didn't see it but i don't know i guess yeah i I think you're right with that one though but when he's away and they have the party with uh the girl and joaquin and and they're dancing and she's dancing he's like come on dance you know what i mean like it's just ooh, like it's (laughs) i'm dancing ready Sure, what? Walter hasn't been out for hours. You're taking for a walk around the block? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm gonna go upstairs. Take my sweater off. Oh, it's really hot in here. Yeah. When you come back, I'll fix you something to eat. Okay. Oh, and Liddy? Come back until he's done his business, okay? Like a good little boy. 
I get the chills. It's just at, like so weird. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just bizarre. And at that point, has she come up with this idea already? Or do you think she's just like, at that point, kind of like doing it out of just having sex with Joaquin out of like spite and her just general fucked upness? Or did she already, was was the web already being woven? I think that's one of these fair things that, that we can debate and, and talk about. Because of the structure and because of the unreliable narrators, it yeah. did seem like to me that she hadn't thought of the plan at the time, but it wouldn't shock me if she did, that as soon as he started getting like that, like she, I don't know, was progressing in that direction. Either way, wouldn't shock me if like uh, we were here with Gus Van Sant and, or the author of the book or whatever. By the way, a little uh, side note about the book. In the book, the character of Suzanne mentions that the actress she wants to play her is the person who just married Tom Cruise, (laughs) which is Nicole Kidman, ironically. So, you know, it was meant to be. And by the way, on that note with the book, the book was not a popular book. It's out of print. They just literally just bought this book, made it a movie, and the movie is the thing that's living on. Not the book, so that I thought I found that interesting as well. Because huh. you and I, you know, we're not the biggest readers, as you joke uh, joke about a lot. I know on your show and our shows, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's um, it's. I think it's an important distinction to say, like, is this adapted from a popular book or a book that people really don't know? Because if it's a popular book, you get the people like, wait, Suzanne wasn't like that in the book, you know what I mean? <laughs> but you're not you're not having that here. Is is my point? No, so, no. <laughs> I bring up the book because maybe the book like will, would go into it more, but that's unclear, and I think it's okay that that's unclear, I guess, is my point, because it's just the way the story is unraveling. We're mm. just... It's something like, oh my god, did she know? I think you're supposed to end the movie and think about the movie, if that makes sense. Like, <laughs> oh my god, maybe she knew the whole time or something. But yeah, she seduces him. It's like a... We don't see too much, but we see it, and I love how she tells the girl. She's like, oh, could you take my dog around the park? I'm sorry, yeah. could you take my dog around the block? And after that, if you come in, just make yourself something to eat. And she's like, okay, even though she knows what's going on. And when she goes upstairs and discovers it, it's like, oh, my God. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, just that whole, but, like, these, I just you just got to feel bad for these kids. Like, even Joaquin Phoenix at the end when he's then admitting it, I mean – how they were just used and you know it doesn't seem like either of them i mean lydia tells that horrific story about her uncle or her mom's boyfriend was it oh my god because i'm like wait why did i write down chester's story with exclamation points that's what it was like yeah how her her uh, mom's boyfriend or, or st- like a stepfather like raped her essentially and she's telling it so matter of fact that you're like oh god that's when you realize like as funny as this movie is it's really a dark movie yeah, but then, like, Nicole Kidman does go and says, like, you have to take that. I mean, it's not the best, obviously, like, mental health tip, but she is, like, you just have to put that behind you. You have to forget about that. She has moments, but then you just see that she just is totally using everybody and just every situation. Like, I don't know why her, you know, when Joaquin Phoenix, you know, she lies to Joaquin Phoenix, or J- Jimmy, and uh, says that her husband's you know, hitting her or just as being like verbally abusive. And then mm-hmm. like, he's like, why can't you get a divorce? Oh, well it's his condo. He would get that. And then the dog and stuff. And the yeah. dog. And which number one, like wouldn't happen in real life. No, uh, but a kid, if you say that to no, a no, kid. No, I know, no, I know, no, I know. It seems like she came from a well-to-do family. So it's just really interesting to me why 
this character is just depending so much on his character, like why she even gets into that, you know, into this marriage with him. But then, yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to rewatch it again. I would love to see if maybe there's a bit more, like you're saying that you could see it in the faces of the parents being interviewed. So I'm sorry, what exactly is your question though? The same question as before, like when did she decide to kill her husband? I, th- I thought you were kind of asking like why she married him. And, and she, I think she makes that pretty clear when she's saying that spiel about like, oh, and it, it is later, but it's, it's earlier in the movie, but it takes place later in the film where she's saying that spiel about taking his last name or whatever, like. Hi, my name is Suzanne Moretto. No, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> Suzanne Moretto is my married name. My own name is Suzanne Stone. That's my professional name. Suzanne Stone. It's not like I have any negative feelings about the name Moretto. Moretto is the name, after all, of my husband, who I loved very, very much. Um, sorry. It's also the name of his parents, Joe and Angela Moretto, and of his lovely and talented sister, Janice Moretto, who have been like a second family to me, and who I regard as I do my own family, particularly since my recent tragedy. She just thinks he's like a the, the perfect guy to be with for that situation, right? Like, he's never going to overshadow her, I think, is the biggest deal with it. And when he starts making moves, even though they're small moves, and he starts thinking of his own importance she starts to overshadow him and she doesn't like it it's it's i think it's as simple as that he's just kind of an accessory he's like a handbag you know oh yeah she didn't expect him to ask which is stupid on her part to like want kids because you know old traditional guy like that probably would uh she didn't expect him to ever be more than probably like the son of that guy where he has money to support her her parents have money, but I think, you know, more money's good. She thought he would just be like this little faithful husband who would buy all these things for her and just be her support system. Because at the beginning, he largely is. We only see it later when the kids thing is is what really, really gets him. He really wants to have it. And then the sister starts giving advice, like, put your foot down. You know, just say, this is what you want to do. You know, why is she controlling your life like that? And that's where he, she, he completely changes from what her idea of what he should be is and she again i think the reason that he's killed is twofold one it's that but two it's that she thinks she can sensationalize the story and use that to get out of this town and get on talk shows and stuff and i think that scene from the interview with the girl on the end who she ends up being the one who gets on talk shows and stuff. I think Suzanne fully plans to use this as her launching pad for her career. Delusional? Absolutely. But from Suzanne, it makes sense. Yeah. No, yeah. The way she walks out when they're all in the house, which is very weird in my mind that they have the whole family, like both sets of parents, sat down in the crime scene living room. (laughs) It is weird. It is. That's a little weird. Like there's going to be like a bloody floor right there with brain pieces on the ground. But anyway... But just the way, yeah, she walks out holding the dog and, like, fixes her hair, like, and just wants to be on TV, yeah. And, and what did you think of the whole, like, again, this murder here where they the, the guys hold... Basically, the girl gets the gun from her parents, and the guys, Casey Affleck and Joaquin Phoenix, hold him up and, you know, end up killing him. I guess, what did you think of the murder? Because I, I kind of didn't... Like, what he was saying, like, oh, take this, take that, 
And he's like, I love Suzanne. I think there's a look in Joaquin's eyes like, wait, this isn't really the guy she described, you know? But he has to go through with it because he loves her and he believes they're going to be together after this. Yeah, I mean, it's just that's what, again, you feel bad for the, and these kids are just being, you know, yes, they're still deciding to do something wrong, but just so manipulated. And yeah, just realizing like that Matt Dillon, like that he's is it seems like an okay guy he's not putting up a fight like someone that you know like suzanne has described you think would be i don't know would do would do something but just like doesn't want to give up his wedding ring and then the way that suzanne is on like on the tv in the other room and he's like oh you know my wife and that like cutting to you know them in the bedroom together showing that kind of stuff i mean Casey Affleck is just taken, you know, like, oh, you don't think I've seen a Rolex before? And, like, all that. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> clearly, I mean, they go in. I mean, the cops say, like, you guys are, like, the worst criminals ever. <laughs> but your buddy left seashells all over the place, I guess, from, you know, clamming <laughs> yes, or whatever. From clamming. What an idiot. Joaquin Phoenix didn't get rid of his shoes. Didn't clean his shoes. It still has brain bits on it. Uh, his fingerprints are on the gloves. They obviously, they also went into the house not wearing masks whatsoever. So you have to obviously, like... I mean, you're just dumb and totally not thinking about that, or you're making a little bit of a conscious decision. Like, you know, obviously you don't want someone to see your face. So if there's a little bit of a, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go through this, this, like I should cover my face. I don't know. There's just a whole bunch of, uh, and I think Suzanne is a big part of that too. She's the mastermind. She's telling them everything to do. And I think she's purposely ten- like, you know, leaving that stuff out and like, you know, just follow Suzanne's plan. Like if we had to do that, she probably would tell us. That kind of thing. And at this point, she obviously knows what she's doing. She yeah, never she... had in- intentions of, like, staying with him after this, you know? So definitely, I mean, in the whole, her decision-making process, like, I think a, bi- a big part or a big moment when she decides, I'm going to kill my husband slash these are, I'm going to get these kids to do it, is when Lydia shares that story and she finds out that there's a gun in her house. And then she's just from mm. hearing all these other horrible movies. And I don't remember exactly when that is in the movie that she hears that story from Lydia. But then, like, and then hearing all these other horrible stories from the kids and then just clearly seeing that Jimmy has this crush. And then, you know, at one point, I mean, she's saying to Jimmy, like, uh, I forget what Casey Casey Affleck's character's name is, you know, when he's saying, I mean, she's going down on him and going down for a second, then coming back up and just, like, teasing him and saying, like, and he's very unsure of himself. And then pretty you know, she gets up at one point and is saying, like, well, if you can't, then, you know, Casey Affleck's character can. And he's much more of a man. And he knows how to take charge and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oof. Manipulative. That's the real, like, I mean, I think at least maybe the thought had been in her mind from at the moment that they got married or I don't know, but definitely them deciding that the kid should do it, I think is hearing, Oh, there's a gun available. And then even saying to Jimmy, no, like you have to ask Lydia for it because she's at that point, clearly orchestrating like alibis and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. This is all part of the life plan. And when, you know, when he ends up dying and just the sister's reaction, so visceral, but her reaction, as you said, the way she walks out of the house, and then the fucking funeral. Oh my god! <laughs> I have, I have in exclamation points, Eric Carmen all by myself. <laughs> you know these terms better than I. What's the one where it's played in the movie? What's the one where the music's played just to us? Diegetic is when it's in their world. Nine diegetic is when it's like the soundtrack to us. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you're seeing this funeral, and you think it's non-diegetic Eric Carmen all by myself, and then it pans to the boombox, and it's actually in the movie, and she's playing it. Yeah, she puts it on top of the tombstone. Oh my press, god. Presses, presses play, yeah. This person's delusional, you know what I mean? She's just, and we, we know that the entire movie. Oh, and the like, way that, like, the sister's like, what the yeah like, and she's like at the, and that's i think then that's when they cut to jazz and she's like i knew i knew somehow she was she was she was the reason like she had something Absolutely. to do with it and it's just like uh, yeah it's so fucking weird it's like not like you played like your wedding song or i thought she was gonna play like i forgot that moment of the movie if that's part of the movie i've seen even and uh yeah and i was like are they gonna play like a song that like he played from his band or something and it's like no like all by myself so no just what a weird song and then just obviously it's such a song for a narcissist to play in that moment like i'm all by myself it's about you're in front of your husband exactly. oh god and this is part of the narrative she's trying to build after this where it's like oh you know i'm gonna tell the story of my poor husband who died and she's gonna you know try to get a media career from it, it just insane delusional oh my god oh i also i know earlier in the movie <laughs> the sister's like it's one of her first lines but she's like when i first saw her i thought of a four-letter word a four-letter c, c. Oh, yeah, c. Four, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 something like that yeah yeah something like that and then she's like they're like what cold yeah yeah cold that's it <laughs> yeah, exactly it's just like yeah so, yeah cold yeah that's it cold yeah it's so good oh man um <laughs> And then the way you just like this movie kind of snowballs in the end is a little unexpected. I mean, it's we know she's gonna get caught because we know, you know, we've been seeing these interviews in the pat in the past. I didn't necessarily think she was gonna get murdered, but again, like you said, the cops just finding the clamshells and, and cracking this case. <laughs> it's yeah. You get my, M- Michael Rispoli as the uh, one of yeah, the yeah Michael Rispoli yeah and uh, Sopranos Jackie yeah Jackie exactly. Senior <laughs> and uh, yeah so it's just yeah just like right away so easy to figure out the kids I mean they go to the house the one cop is sitting outside of her house and then from there they find out about or they yeah Lydia's one of them uh, uh, and then Jimmy's the other and then they go to Lydia. I mean, she admits to it. She gets, you know, she wires herself up. They go to the mall. And there's not enough, like, hard enough evidence in that tape, you know? Yeah, because she wanted them to get caught. Because there is the built-in alibi there. Oh, that's how they know him. He became jealous. They met him through this. They knew blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? All that. Yeah. So she thinks she's the perfect alibi. But then again, the tapes, the fact that she did the 40 hours of tapes with the teens, teen talk. And they show that one tape where it's, like, the wink in the classroom. And they... Joaquin and her, especially Joaquin, thinks he's like smarter. Than, I forgot the exact line he says. He winks at her, and he thinks he's so much like smarter than everyone. And they're like all above the fray in that moment. Well, but she's so talking obvious. about using condoms and AIDS, yes. and yeah, and it's like my girlfriend. Like, yeah, wink. the woman I'm currently involved with. Um, I'd like to think that you know we we trust one another and that kind of stuff. And winks, but at the same time, when she's going into then. I don't know where they're going into at that point. I mean, it's with a lawyer or whatever. I guess they're kind of going after her at one point, right? And uh, and I, I she's a the, natural suspect. Yeah, she's a natural suspect. I also read her lawyer. That's the that's the author of the book. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, a little fun fact. But she's like, you know, yes, like I didn't want to say it, but my husband had a coke problem, and, <laughs> and Jimmy Jimmy was selling to him. Jimmy, you know, who's part of my 
uh, documentary or my, you know, teen talk. And so, yeah, that is just like, they, she wants them to be, you know, obviously guilty of it because well, obviously she doesn't want to be guilty. They, she wants them to get caught because then that just makes her teen talk that much more interesting to watch. Yeah, exactly. It's part of the plan, but she thinks it's going so well, and it's really not. You know, and like you said, the girl ends up wearing a wire. There's just not enough on the tape to get her right. Yeah, she's. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. Uh, we have a friend who's a prosecutor. We can have him watch it and ask him. It just from the way she was talking, she just believes so much of her own story now. For sure, for sure. That it just in my ears, they never say the line, but it's one of those like I was expecting one of those like because they're listening in a van that you would just hear them say like oh, that's not enough or like or da would say to him this isn't enough to because she's like oh you did it remember you did this kyle i think maybe i'm going out on a limb here but if you and i murdered someone and we were trying to get away with it we would lie blah 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 i'm not saying we would but if we did and we somehow got away with it we'd be haunted by that moment like uh in the air tonight style you know what I mean? <laughs> like we'd be haunted by that moment for the rest of our lives i feel like you'd feel that way right so haunted i'm a very haunted person <laughs> i've murdered so many people <laughs> but you get a sense of suzanne once she gets past this she's not even gonna think about her husband you know what i mean like she's not gonna be haunted by this she's just so she's forgotten about him already like she's, <laughs> she's it's nothing yeah absolutely nothing once they find out really like especially the parents that she's probably not gonna get caught it doesn't even matter they know they know really what happened and it's like boom little little Italian uh, speak to someone here or there we get uh, David Cronenberg <laughs> yeah the way he murders her is so like narcissistic in her part as well he's like yeah I'm from a network let's meet up uh, do this tape whatever and then he just you know he kills her yeah that's uh, yeah it's just like so boom 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 like I mean yeah Dan Hedaya like what is she oh she's saying on the courts up so then it cuts to them and her saying I didn't want to hurt his family but like this needs to come to light because again, she's like, uh, like you're saying, like a, a you know a natural like suspect in the case or whatever, and he like fucking breaks, you know, smashes the TV with a baseball bat, some glasses, and then just like kind of looks at his wife and she kind of like nods a little bit or just gives a, enough of a look, and he makes this call and you know, you know, speaking in the in the old tongue, and uh, yeah, then David Cronenberg shows up. And she's like, I thought you would be older. He's like, I am older. It's like, all right, David Cronenberg, you fucking freaky fuck. Uh, (laughs) And then they just like walk and they're just walking. They're walking like through fucking deep snow. And like, what is going in her mind right then? I almost like I'm imagining like they're going to cut to her POV and she just sees literally a different world. Like she's in like the... uh, like, all of a sudden be, like, looking in this Ready Player One world. Like, she's just so... She's, like, laughing. Like, they're, like, frolicking through, like, deep snow going down a hill and just, like, walking somewhere. Like, honestly, I'm thinking I am developing this idea as I'm speaking this. Is this the executive that she's thinking, like, okay, she's going to take me. I'm going to suck his cock right oh, now. Oh, maybe, maybe. I don't know. Like, it's just so... It's just such a weird and such a... Like, not a not a neatly wrapped up, like, uh, shout out to Cage Club right now, one of my favorite Cage movies. National Treasure. Yes, National Treasure, which is going to be a Disney uh, show now, but not with Nick Cage. 
I'm for it. I mean, I would prefer Nick Cage, but I'm still for it. Yeah. Because, you know, that's a, that's a world you can build on. It's not necessarily. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's Kid Revolve. But anyway, uh, but no, but his bad lieutenant and how everything, like, neatly wraps up in the end of the movie. Yeah. Like, all the problems go away. It's not that kind of neatly wrapping but it's up. Close. But it's it, close. Yeah, but it's just, like, everything just kind of comes with ease. But, I mean, sometimes that does happen because these idiot kids don't know how to commit a crime. And literally left every single piece of evidence you ever fucking possibly could. <laughs> she's just so she's is clever, but she's really dumb at the same time, and just so mm-hmm. fake that like you know the, the Italians see it, they see it. <laughs> and how many people you meet? Uh, I know I do. Uh, I meet a bunch of people who think think they're smarter than you and think they're outsmarting you with like lies like this. She's on another level, of course, but the way she is in the end, because she thinks she won already. She's like, yep, it's, it's okay. I'm on my way to my career. Brian, I'm do all these entries. I won't go into detail, but there was one time I was in your apartment, and I didn't tell you that like I had gone on a date with someone you knew, and you knew, <laughs> and you knew so well. Like It was just like I thought I was not – I wasn't trying to trick you. I just like – I was just like, oh, I'm not going to tell night. him right away. And you're just like, you dumb asshole. Like, <laughs> like, and I'm like, all right, you got me. Like, <laughs> That was a fun night. We, was a maybe fun we'll share – we won't share that story. But yeah, it, yeah. It was a fun yeah. night. For me, not her. Was... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I wasn't thinking that when I said that, but that's a good – No, but that's a like, – no, that's – Brian, that's where my mind went to. <laughs> It's Again, really not, I was not trying to be clever, but like I'm yeah, not well, a I'm not a if it, it, let's high school related guys go and watch my acting from our high school films. You will see I am not. <laughs> Two, Kyle and someone else I knew had gone on a date, and just really quickly, I'll say it just for context. Kyle and someone I knew had gone on a date, and and I had not told you, and you had not told me. I knew, and the whole party, I was just playing mind games with Kyle because he was like, oh, hey, haven't seen you in a while to the girl, even though <laughs> he had, clearly. Yeah, because it was like, it was no, no, I will say the party, it was your Dia de los Muertos party, which was like, you know, end of October, early November, and yeah. I had seen that person in the, like, midsummer or whatever, so, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. Well, no, so, like, I saw okay. him on the date, but that's when I, in, I thought in your mind, you, you know, obviously knew that I last saw them. And I remember, like, per- like I did a, cu- a bunch of things, but I remember purposely giving a speech about, like, loyalty and friendship. Like, you know, just, it looked, seemed like a normal speech. And, and any time I said one of those buzzwords, I would look at you. Like, <laughs> like another, it was just fun. It was just fun. Brian, point- honestly, I didn't pick up on that because my blood was not in my head right then. Oh. <laughs> Well, you, d- you did slightly, because you did say, I heard you in the background, like, why does he keep looking at me? You said that to whoever you're next to. <laughs> Which is funny. And regardless, the, her body's dumped in the water. You know, it's frozen over to be an ice lake or whatever. It was an ice lake. You know, it's frozen. It's a frozen over lake. And uh, the sister, who is really the big mastermind probably behind her death, she's probably like, Daddy, this is what's going on. She needs to go. She just kind of talks smirks at us whatever and she has this great little like ice skating thing and it's that song i think it's called season of the witch yeah yeah uh by donovan donovan yeah donovan season of the witch and it pulls out and she's ice skating with the credits going on for like a good couple minutes and i'm like whoa a donovan song plays is used very well in another high school movie i believe you've covered already the girl next door like after they make the porno and they come out of the school it's like way down below the ocean (laughs) i just saw that really well used but yeah big donovan guy i am a big donovan guy (laughs) i I love love. mellow yellow love 
Mellow Yellow, yeah. <laughs> I love how this movie ends, though, with that shot and that song. And then you're right. It, it's tied up really neatly and nicely. There's Hitchcock elements. There's a lot of Gus Van Sant elements that we'll see later. A lot of dark comedy here. And a lot of just overall darkness here. And is there anything else in the film that you want to bring up or talk about? Um, not, not, I mean, not off the top of my head or looking at my notes. But yeah, just definitely like Hitchcock-esque at the end. She's frozen in the ice. She's being skated over by the sister. It's just very, you know psycho in a way with the with the didn't even know the money was in the car and then the cards getting pulled up in the end they're gonna find that money in it uh just like i feel even edgar Allan poe doesn't he have the one story that the person's like buried behind a brick wall it's just uh you know all very gothic poetic kind of justice stuff going on yeah yeah gothic is a good word for it too it's not southern gothic because it takes place in new hampshire italian gothic Roman, Roman, <laughs> Roman, Roman Catholic comic. Little Hope, New Hampshire. Great name. <laughs> All right, then. I mean, let's uh, let's move on to our awards. This is a new thing I've been asking these... Uh, sorry, this, is, this might be actually the first time I ask it because I've recorded some other episodes and asked this question. So you're not the first to answer it in the real world, but in podcast world, Kyle, I think you might be. That's my world. That's my, uh, Suzanne Stone world podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a simple question that I realize we really need to ask here on high school slumber party. We talk about teen films, right? But not every teen. I didn't lose my virginity in high school. Yes. That was the question. No. (laughs) Um, we talk about teen films and not every teen film or teen adjacent film is made for the same audience. We have some teen films that are made for, preteens or tweens right we have some that are made for teenagers we have some made for adults we have some made for families we have some made for everyone who was this movie to die for made for i guess kyle um i I, i'd almost say like your average adult movie goer yeah i would say adults even more like people who are into film adults not blockbuster movies like film you know and not adult films no, no, I mean, maybe they're into adult films, but... <laughs> yeah, just someone that, again, yeah, maybe knows a bit more auteur filmmakers. But at the same time, like, I don't know, like, this would this would have been a movie that I'm sure it had a better, like, it didn't do well in theaters, but, like, I'm sure it had, like, a, okay, like a decent shelf life at a video rental store. It doesn't feel like necessarily a complete auteur film, but I think those are the people who probably... Saw sought it out if that makes sense but yeah it's definitely in a, a film for adults here this is definitely not one they made for teenagers i know it stars teenagers and like teenagers are the main supporting roles here but it's definitely not a teen film or a tween film certainly okay most likely to succeed who won the movie certainly wasn't suzanne oh who won the movie yeah doesn't have to be a kid i'll, I'll say janice yeah i was torn between janice who clearly won we leave with her Or uh, the girl, right? Uh, I keep forgetting her name. Lydia. Because Lydia, she was involved, but she cut the plea deal. She had the, uh, you know, she had the wire and everything. So she's not in trouble. And now she, like, they, her last scene where she's like, she's implying, oh, I'm the TV star now. I'm doing all these interviews. I'm going on this show and that show. So she kind of won as well. I don't know if she wins in the long run. I think Janice actually wins in the long run. But she has a feeling that she won. Yeah, know? besides Janice losing her brother, like, she still has... I mean, she's young enough. She obviously has her life ahead of her. She's 
literally, she's like dancing on the grave of the woman who killed her yes. husband. Yes, yes, quite literally. She's yeah. ice skating yeah. on that lake, on that grave. So, you know, good call there. Wooderson Award. Is there a character here you would have liked to see more of? It's kind of a tie. I, I, I love me some Kurtwood Smith. And I feel like he wasn't fully utilized, but at the same time, I have to give it to the late great George Siegel. Ooh, so, so good. Yeah, like I wish there was just like yeah, another scene with him, or just even longer, and just yeah, it would have been kind of cool if she like went to him and then like got the response that she gives to the kids, like there is no California, yada yada. Like I just I don't know. He played such a great sleaze bag. It would have been great. He's great. He's great. Long Guk Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Anyone you would delete? Um, I was trying to think about this, like a side story that was like annoying, but it's not no. really that kind of movie. No. Uh, you know, uh, I don't think maybe some Italians will be offended. I have no idea. Uh, but no, I no, there's no... <laughs> no, not, not even in that <laughs> sense. There's also just not like a frivolous character or anything like that. I think this movie's pretty tight when it comes to that. Yeah, no, it's got, yeah, just a great, great cast. Cameron Fry Award. No, and of course we're talking about just the kids. Did any of them look a little too old to be high schoolers? No, they all looked, they all looked pretty good. That was like, you know. They, they were all real teens and they casted young. Even Joaquin's a teen here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think, again, casting, mwah. Chef's kiss. <laughs> and it was cliche, but mwah. Amazing. Rotten Tomatoes give this gives this movie 88% by the critics, 65% by the audience, so I guess it's not for everyone. But 3.6 out of 5 on Letterboxd, which is a pretty good score. Rarely does anything get 4, which I, I think it's a pretty on good On Letterboxd, rarely anything gets 4? Yeah. So, like, from then nothing So then nothing gets, I mean, you know, from 4 to Average, five. remember, average. They average every score. So uh, okay. for something to get a 5, everyone has to say hey, it's 5. Yeah, yeah, So 4.9 okay. is realistically, you know, the best score, theoretically. Sure. Someone's not going to like it, you know. Most movies are in the threes. Like, I found that out. Like, if a movie's in the twos, it's terrible, you know. If the movie's in the fours, it's one of the greatest movies of all time. <laughs> so you're really measuring the threes. You know, the nerds on Letterboxd take this seriously. I'm just curious. Godfather, Letterboxd. I've never, like, looked that up. Why would I, you know. So the Godfather in Letterboxd is 4.6. You know, very yeah. good score. Very, Very good movie. <laughs> uh, what's a movie you really like, Kyle? Let's just see for perspective. Because this helps the audience as well. Uh, Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights Letterbox. That might be a four. 4.2. Chef. Let's so, do that one foodie film and that's it. Chef Letterboxd. That's a better one because, like, you know, Chef is not Boogie Nights or fucking The Godfather. Yeah, exactly. It's still great. I love it, I but yeah, it's wrong. not a masterpiece, yeah. 3.6. Same as this. Oh, okay. So that, that should give you perspective of, like, what Letterboxd is like, you know? So, yeah, so this gets 3.5 on Letterboxd, but we don't even care about that. I don't know why we went into it for so long. <laughs> Kyle, I'm handing you the Manila card. I'm handing you the red pen, and I'm asking you to rate this movie on an A-plus to F scale. Our first Gus Van Sant movie. What will you grade to die for? Give it a B-plus. B-plus, nice. B-plus, I mean, pretty good score. Um, I was teetering on that. I was like, if Kyle gave it the B plus, I'm going to give it the A minus. If Kyle gave it the A minus, I'm going to give it the B plus. <laughs> so <laughs> that puts me on the A minus. You know, I'm going to give this an A minus. I really enjoyed this movie. That has exceeded my expectations. When you suggested it, I thought it was going to be like a smutty kind of, even closer to like that. It's film the, t- it's with, the title. It's the title to die for. Not a great title, sorry. And and when you told me it was like, oh, 
Nicole Kidman seducing a young Joaquin Phoenix. I thought it almost had, would have like a lifetime quality, you know? It really didn't. Um, I was very surprised by this movie. We gave it both really good scores. So, To Die For. Is it To Die For? I don't know about <laughs> that, but it's still really, really, a really, really good movie. All right, Kyle. What does your sleeping bag look like? What does your To Die For sleeping bag look like? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I, I think in the end, it's just going to kind of kind of look like a... You know what? I, I wasn't going to go this specific, but I am. It's it's her trapped under the ice, and it's an ice skate as the zipper. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Good. Call. It's like it's like one of those like mummy ones, you know, like really like that. There's even kind of like a hood to it, so like her face would be at that part, you know, like and then yeah. Good call. It's just a great visual. Like I mean, if it wasn't giving away stuff, like that's a great poster, and there's you know like there's just, it's just a great great image. I was just going to say, um, you know, like a print from one of her amazing dresses. There's one that looks like it has like avocados on it or like just <laughs> green circles. So I like yours better, though. My favorite question every week. You and I are in the magical, mythical blockbuster in the sky with every movie to ever exist from now till, well, I guess the birth of film till today. We'll put it that way. <laughs> we know we're renting to die for, but we get to that counter and there's a sign at that counter. It's there every time, but it always surprises me. And it says, rent two movies, get one free. And I say, Kyle, I'll hold our place in line. Go to the back. Get two movies. What two movies are you bringing up for our to die for slumber party? Well, they've both been mentioned. I didn't want Oops. it to be all horrible women, but I, so I'm going with uh, Gone Girl and then Nightcrawler. Nice. So we get nice. we get we get we get two Affleck brothers. Yeah, I mean that honestly, that's a fun little trio. That's like a I like that. That's a cool. And we talked today about a lot of cool companion pieces to this film. So if you're if you like films like this, there's a lot of other films like this, and not in a bad way, you know. Yeah, and the, and and they're each they're each different enough. And uh, I mean, talk about I was talking about actors chewing up. I mean scenes jake gyllenhaal in that movie is just wow uh next next level there's this class of performance and this is in it young adult by shirley theron is another one that's in it Mm -hmm. and even uh his uh, jake gyllenhaal's performance in nightcrawler where you look back and you're like how wasn't he nominated or how wasn't she nominated yeah it's it's pretty pretty crazy but he's he's nominated for two tonys a producer and acting role so well, good for him. Good for good for Jake. But <laughs> you watch Nightcrawler, you're like, the man is acting his ass off. So all good roles we mentioned there and really fun movies that we'll watch for this slumber party. Kyle, this was a pleasure. I hope you'd enjoyed it as much as I did. It's a great start to our little Gus Van Sant lap here. Any Anything you want to plug? I know Foodie Films is on hiatus, but uh, you were recently on another person's podcast, right? Yeah, I was on the Kinky Ladies Book Club Ooh. podcast. Um, one of those things you like. Things you you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of tell me about it. Uh, yeah, so it's um, four ladies, but when they uh, when they have a guest on, they kind of do a rotate one of them out, just because five is a lot on an episode. So I spoke with uh, three of the hosts of this uh, of this podcast, and they talk, you know, those romance, lusty, smutty kind of novels. And so, you know, obviously, I, I like to think that it was entertaining enough that you didn't have to read the book. Like, you know, there's movie podcasts, you don't have to watch the movie, and it's still entertaining. But point being, if you read the book, 
very entertaining and the book we talked was uh called it was it was actually a novella so it was short and i thank them for that it's called his curvy chef and um (laughs) about this like rich billionaire guy that like is a widower and uh his nanny was actually he owns some restaurants and there was this uh very voluptuous larger young woman that is a good chef but he like wants her to be like his personal cook slash like nanny to the kids kind of and uh yeah and she's just like absolutely loves him and then we discover he absolutely loves her i mean it's a really bad i asked them because i'm like all right like i will call you ladies like experts on the topic now like is this i don't i've never read one of these is this good and they're like no this is horrible so um yeah so <laughs> it's not it wasn't in that realm a a good book per se but um but yeah i had a, I had a blast talking with them so check that out the kinky ladies book club yeah that's that's about that and of course you can check out old episodes of foodie films and ps on... i love hoffman yeah thanks again for pointing that this movie existed to me <laughs> and and for, you know, starting this cool little uh, journey I'm taking on Gus Van Sant films. And I, I think you should watch some more Gus Van Sant films, Kyle. And I encourage all our listeners to watch them as well. The next one. The next one has one of your favorite actors, Kyle. He's a Scotsman. He was in your favorite film, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That's all I'll tease. So. Uh, <laughs> ah, just like a... No, I'm not going to get it. Both topical. Both topical. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. So great having Kyle start off this little series we're doing on Gus Van Sant, my old high school classmate. Hey, my blockbuster buddy. So (laughs) great hearing from Kyle. We had a lot of fun with that one. Wow, what an underrated Nicole Kidman performance. So, of course, it comes that time in every podcast that we do together where I assign you your homework for next week. And I already mentioned it. We're doing Gus Van Sant. We're continuing the Gus Van Sant train. And the next teen movie he really does chronologically, it's a little film called Finding Forrester. Yo, you ever seen him? The window? Nah. You see us, man. In a forgotten corner of the Bronx. You stay away from the window's place. Whatever, man. I'll go up there. Something hidden is about to be found. A lot of aspiring authors talked about writing the great 20th century novel. William Forrester did it. This was the only one he chose to write. Someone legendary is about to be discovered. Have you seen my son's backpack? And something extraordinary is about to take place. I was wondering maybe I could bring you some more of my writing. Bolt the door. If you're coming in. That's you, isn't it? If I ask you not to say anything to anybody. And if I ask you to keep helping me with my writing? The question concerning your most recent work isn't whether it's good. Punch the keys! It's whether it's too good. Yes! This season. You don't think he wrote it? He's a basketball player. There's a question in your writing suggesting what is it you wish to do with your life. Find your courage. It's a melancholy truth that even great great men have poor relations. Dickens. Do you know what people are most afraid of? You will hear the beat of a horse's Kipling. What they don't understand. Come on, Professor. Get out. And find out 
what you're made of. Columbia Pictures presents... My name is William Forrester. I'm not one up there. Academy Award winner, Sean Connery. They got some contest at school that's writing thing. You ever entered one of those? Once. Did you win? Of course I won. Like money or something? The Pulitzer. Finding Forrester. Ugh, I can't wait to talk this one. And we'll have our most tenured man with us for that episode. Mike Manzi will be here. I'm sure you're going to hear some Sean Connery accents out of him. That's for sure. Can't wait. Can't wait. Couple other things before I let you go today. I can't believe that Kyle Brooklyn news to me that legendary actor George Siegel passed away. Crazy, crazy. He's in this movie, and I just again remember him from Just Shoot Me and so many other great things. Oscar nominee. But as I was editing, another legendary actor passed away. Jessica Walter. Arrested Development, Lucille Bluth, but she's in a ton of other stuff, too. I think we'll cover her on a movie here, not as a high schooler, but as a mom, as a grandma. I don't know. (laughs) She's great. I love Arrested Development, but I especially loved it in high school when it came out. It was so just, like, different and innovative and silly. One of my high school cross-country teammates recommended it to me, and I was like, okay. But it turned out to be a great Great recommend, so rest in peace, Jessica Walter. What legendary comedic timing. Two legends lost this week, that's for sure. So remember, guys, do your homework. Participate on our social media. Subscribe, tell a friend, and of course, watch next Friday's film, Finding Forrester. And one more thing, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. And I was thinking of what song to leave you with, but we're listening to that over again. I remember Kyle brought it up. It's that funeral song. It's such a good song. Eric Carmen's All By Myself. Sorry to leave you on kind of a downer moment, but it is what it is. It works to the movie. Thanks so much, guys. <sighs> Later, dudes.
kau.